we go. Hello. Hello. Hi, all. Welcome. It is Monday night, generational change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. <clears throat> and Mr. Seinfeld actually was on Kyle Dunnigan's uh, podcast with him imitating Sly Stallone and being interviewed by him. That's so funny. I just watched a clip of him talking about, and it, like, I think he was just on, it was on like Fallon and he was talking about his teenage son and what that's like. Oh. That's kind of just random, but I just saw that today and I hadn't seen Seinfeld in forever. Oh, that's very interesting. Well, we all can use a little bit of Seinfeld these days. I mean, after all, you kind of have to laugh your way through all of the crap that we're dealing with on a regular basis. I feel like we haven't been live in so long. We haven't. It's been a week. It's been a week. Hi, everybody. Please smash the like button. Share this. Get it out. Hope everyone had a people. good Thanksgiving. We certainly do. Thanksgiving is a holiday that is celebrated with family and friends we understand the origins of the holiday are not good at all, but today it is one of the few times of the year that people really come together. So let's try to make the most of what we I really got. like the food. It's a lot of starch. It's a lot of starch you and I'm really into it. Like I, 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 I do well, stuffing. I do white potato. I do sweet potato. I cor am corn starch. Sou corn souffle is my favorite. Say, okay, yet another starch. Like I like that too. Well, I don't like a lot of starch, I, <laughs> but if I have to pick one, corn souffle is definitely the one that I'm going for. That's what I like. I don't know about you. I just any well, you know, I'm a potato person. Yes, uh, any kind of potatoes. Like I, I French a, fries are certainly preferable. Oh yeah, I mean, I just like potato. I'm a big fan of tuber. So, what did you get on Black Friday or Cyber Monday? Any interesting gifts? Any? I don't do that. Oh, you don't do that? No. Oh, you don't care about anybody? No. Not anybody worth shopping. <laughs> okay, for? first of all, I don't do holiday gift things. I just don't. I don't do holiday stuff. Um, what are you showing me? Your phone. What about it? I need you to check your phone for a second. Oh, okay. Um, here it is. Wonderful. He's doing something where yes. he's well, I have to. Well, I have to. I have to multitask because you know that's that's. Just <laughs> so me. no, I don't participate in holiday shopping. I don't participate in holiday stuff. Uh, I mean, our festivus is really the extent of anything that I do for the holidays. I really am not. You know, I'm I'm not really scroogey. I'm really ambivalent. No, I totally understand. Like that. I, I, I everyone, enjoy, everybody enjoy your whatever you do. That's fine. Whatever. I actually, it's the only time of year that I actually like being here. So I don't understand why anybody would travel over that time. But well, it is kind of funny how everybody seems to be traveling at this particular time of the year. But nevertheless, it's uh, it's nice here. I wouldn't go. Yeah, well, a lot of people were definitely traveling as I was on the road and, you know, ultimately uh, was able to get up north to see family and friends. Uh, my Thanksgiving was very nice. Uh, it's really amazing how difficult it is to raise kids. How know? do you know this? Well, I was only in the element for. I love a, it when non parents say things about child rearing. Well, just knowing how difficult it is. It, oh, it really I find that just appear. funny. Well, you know. That's, uh, that was, I love it when people who don't have kids are judgmental about other people's parenting. I love that. Uh, well, what, what, what was this, what was this sort of like realization that you had about parenting? I'm, I'm so curious. The endless energy in that toddler to kind of, um, I guess, well, it's the youth range. So you're the, talking about actual, like, just hyperactivity kid running around, getting into everything and having to be on top of a toddler. That's what you're yes, talking about is being sure. difficult. Yeah, that's the easy stuff. Really? Yeah. That's a good thing I ain't a parent. 
that's just geography. That's just keeping them alive in, in, in a space. That's not the hard stuff. And then they get older and have opinions and become teenagers and make poor choices. And then it becomes a lot more difficult, I assure you. Well, I think that it's it's all one big process. I'm and just saying that that keeping up with the toddler, yeah, it takes a lot of energy, but it's not exactly like psychologically draining. It's like time draining. But it's, yeah, it's hard to explain. No, it definitely is. Um, it's more of a caregiving situation than a parenting situation at that point. Well, I do believe that being a parent is a full-time job. Uh, that doesn't mean that everyone who becomes a parent is doing a good job at that job. It's not easy, man. No, it's definitely not. And <laughs> I can certainly see how it really not people. easy. And of course, the whole thing about sleeping on a normal schedule, yeah, that's over. Well, Completely that's only over. with babies. That's only with babies. Maybe. I mean, I don't, yeah. I mean, I, sleeping is once you have, yeah, that's not a, although I do make my 22-year-old text me as soon as he gets in. He had to text me when he got to his girlfriend's and then he, and then he drove back to school and he had to text me when he got home from school. And even though it's all happening in New York, I needed him to text me that he got to, that he got home. And so like, that I need, like, or it would be hard for me to go to sleep. That is true. Yeah, I've had that uh, remind. Oh, and uh, so Mario wanted us to let us know about pumpkin pie. I, I have to say, um, pumpkin pie, no, but I, I really do dig the sweet potatoes and marshmallows. That's a dish that- Peter doesn't like sweets, and it, he's very unfun about food. Yeah, of course, yeah I'm, I'm unfun. About food. No. About food. Not yes, true. you are. Oh, my God. You guys, he is the most unfun about food person. He's the most unfun person to go eat with. Like he, he you know, I don't mean conversation wise. I mean, in terms of food that he'll eat. Um, well, Declan is right about this. Yeah, we do. Well, yeah, I do like fried food, but um, we did. I didn't even have pumpkin pie. It's not one of my favorite things. Was, I'm much more of a like chocolate. Yeah, I don't know. Now, I will say I like, this. I was at the Iowa State Fair earlier this year. Now, you want to talk about deep fried everything? That's love where, it. That's, that's where you go. Love you it. Deep, deep fried Twinkie, deep fried Oreo. I love a deep fried Oreo. Deep. <laughs> so good. Have you ever had it? I think I may have tasted it. I don't think once. you have, because if you have, you wouldn't be as like, you know, kind of anti it. But it's, it's one so, of the best tasting so, things uh, ever. Here's the thing. No, it's like tempura. Now, well, when, you, when, tempura. You're as, when you're as healthy as I am, Ugh. when you start eating that type of stuff, it it literally makes you physically sick. Like yeah, no. First of all, I I like to take care of myself, but I also like my sweets. Sure, it's so a, it's a weakness. don't it, it's I don't think it's a weakness. It's oh, just I, I enjoy my life. Well, I don't judge it like oh, it's so good I don't or enjoy bad. My life because I'm not eating. No, no, no. Stuff. What I'm saying is, is that to me, it's not a good or bad. Like you judge it as like it's a negative and a bad thing. Like it's a vice. It's not. It's just me living my life. That's all I'm saying. So it looks like we may be getting stood up. And uh oh, it, it happens, guys. It happens. it happens. Yeah. I just yeah. saw that she confirmed though. When was that email? Uh, like a few days ago, and then I sent the email this afternoon. We were supposed to have on. We're hoping against all hope. Oh wait. Uh, oh, she went into the Google meeting, Peter. Uh, because what did you do yet I again? Did, I. Mm. You see, this is the thing. You no, do it every time. No, I don't. You do. You you stop sending them the Google meeting. That's for Where's my calendar. The, where is the All you need to send them is the StreamYard link. Uh, where is it? I know I sent. Oh, okay. Did I? 
that's actually I could have sworn that I sent it this afternoon. So of course I'm going to get destroyed for doing this, but you know, nevertheless, uh, who's going to destroy you? I, you are. <laughs> I'm, like it matters what I think. Like who cares what I think? To who? I'm just saying. I'm not. I'm not. You know. Uh, all right. So. <laughs> well, don't worry. I mean, we wear multiple I'm, hats here. Um, so like we don't have a lot of help with programming. So it's basically just us. Well, I'm going to hope against hope that she's going to see this right now and that she will be joining us in a minute, uh, because this is a very important conversation that we have to have regarding medical debt, which is something that should not exist. Uh, but it does. And of course it only exists here in America. Why? Because we have a for-profit healthcare system and anyone, and I mean, anyone, who is arguing about this idea that we need a for-profit healthcare system is a total dunce, completely. And yet, and yet, in this Democratic Party email chain, they're still talking about access to affordable healthcare and reinvigorating the Affordable Care at Act. At least on the, at least, at least, and we'll talk about this with Sean Fitzgerald, aka the actual justice warrior. Uh, at least on the conservative side. They at least have an argument that they stick with constantly, and that is they don't want the government involved in healthcare. Okay, it's incorrect. It's government funded, not government run, which is what communist and socialist countries have. We want a free market system I that has. I really no- wish you would stop referring to communist and socialist countries like they're ne- like again, like it's some sort of negative thing. Why I'm is saying that necessarily? But if anybody can speak to, if anybody can speak to the absolute lunacy of the for-profit healthcare system, it is our guest who was a councilwoman in Toledo, Ohio, one of the forgotten cities of America, and she is now the state rep-elect. It's of, very cold there. Of a, Well, it is. It, well, it's Ohio. It's, but Toledo is very, very cold. I'm just saying. If you're close to Lake Erie, you're going to get... I, again... <laughs> lots of chill fat. She is the state house representative-elect of... Ohio House District 43. We were hoping the two Sams, Sam, Cal and Sam Lawrence from Southwest Ohio were joining her. We digress, but she is certainly a fantastic representative who is going to tell us why medical debt can be canceled. Imagine yeah, that. guys, imagine this. It's fascinating. Michelle Graham, welcome to Generational Change. Thank you for Thank having you. me. And I do have to say in Toledo, we don't get the lake effect snow. Okay. Cleveland does. So Cleveland gets the lake effect. So I'm from, I'm from like an hour South of Cleveland um, originally. And so we don't, we don't get the lake effect snow. Um, It is, it's cold. um, But yeah, we don't get the, like, you know, the, the, the snow dump that Cleveland does. Okay. I wasn't hating on Toledo or anything like that. That's, that's kind of nice about being near Lake Erie is we don't get the lake effect snow that, that Cleveland does. So anyways, that's That's really interesting. (laughs) So talk about, talk about, um, what, what you were able to accomplish. And I mean, obviously this is something we would like to see replicated in a lot of places. And, um, so yeah, talk a little bit about what, what you were just able to accomplish. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Toledo city council just a few weeks ago, just passed, um, $800,000 to, um, in partnership with the Lucas County commissioners and, uh, who also, uh, committed $800,000 to, um, purchase, uh, up to $240 million worth of medical debt for $1.6 million. And how we were able to do that is partner with a great nonprofit charity called RAP medical debt. And what they're able to do is they're able to purchase debt pennies on the dollar, um, 
work with hospital systems, physician groups, purchase that debt, and then just cancel that debt. And so what will happen is that one day someone will get a letter in the mail saying their debt's been canceled. How many people like, do you think that this is going to impact? Like that's a lot. It is a lot. Um, so these are all estimates. So we're estimating about 41,000 people. Wow. Wow. That's it, amazing. Probably be more, but yeah, 41,000 people. That's more powerful than Joe Biden. He couldn't even fix the student debt for 10. He couldn't even do a $10,000 means test for us. And and when you think about it. She's more powerful than Joe. Well, all politics are local, as you know. Yes. And it's not just 41,000. Yeah. And it's not just 41,000 people. It could be as many as 150,000 families that are really having this impact. So it's pretty significant. And I'm I'm just wondering, you know, obviously we're huge advocates for universal health care. Uh, there is absolutely no reason for it not to exist. Right, there shouldn't be medical debt. Like yeah. that is, that's like, we're skipping over the fact that that's ridiculous in and of itself. But, but. but the reason medical debt exists is because we have for-profit middlemen in between us and our doctors. If you're asking me what's the best example to give as to why our system needs to move to a single payer system, this is it. Like what you just did is monumental. And I'm sure you're not getting phone calls from MSNBC, CNN and the like to talk about this, but we will try to get this out to as many people as possible. Um, What is the conversation like with everyday Ohioans? Again, it's a leaning red state now, to be fair, but it's a very working class state. It's a very blue collar state. So what's been your experience talking to that, let's say that regular working class voter who may have voted for Obama may have voted for Trump, but has those working class sensibilities and appreciates what you just did. Yeah. So um, again, we are looking at a one in 100 return on investment. So I think a lot of people see that as, you know, making good economic sense. Um, I can't think of anything that we do um, anywhere, local, state, federal, that has a one to 100 return on investment. So that's one thing. Another thing is everyone knows someone who has had medical debt in the, you know, either in the past or currently. Um, so there Kaiser, um, Kaiser health news had, uh, these series of articles around, um, medical debt, um, and how it affects Americans. And they, they estimate about 41% of Americans have medical debt currently. So I think, you know, medical debt affects everybody. It affects lower income folks, middle class, working class. And what's great about this program is that we're able to um, broaden the scope because it's um, who qualifies it's up to 400% of the poverty level or um, if if uh, families have medical debt um, greater than five percent of their income, so you know it's not just um, very low income; it's also working class and middle income folks as well. So it really it there's really a broad range of people that it that it helps. How how do we anywhere in the anywhere else get this? Like how do we how do we push for something yeah. like this to happen for us? You know. Yeah. So, um, I've had, I've had people reach out and say, Hey, I would love to lobby my city council folks to do this. And I would encourage you to do that. Um, I've also had about a half a dozen folks around the country 
um, elected officials around the country saying we want to we want to implement this in our in our community, and um, I really hope it's it takes off. I I think this is just again it's a great investment of these these probably once in a at least once in a generation maybe once in a lifetime dollars that we have right now um, the American Rescue Plan dollars for a one to 100 return on investment. That's just gonna help so many people. It's gonna help so many people put food on the table. It's gonna help so many people pay their rent, pay their utilities, help them go back to the doctor because they can't go back right now because they have medical bills they can't pay. So I would you know, encourage people to reach out to their city council folks. Um, they can, you know, I'm- We have some friends now. We have some friends. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I'm. I'm more. I'm more than happy to like you know help people kind of navigate those waters as well, because um, you know if you haven't reached out to your local elected official, it can be a little daunting at times. But you know, look, you you know we we work for the people, so um, you know it's good to reach out to them and you know tell them that you saw it on this podcast or you you read it in uh in a in on NPR or in some articles. Um, and uh, just reach out to them and say, hey, I think this is a really good use of the American Rescue Plan dollars. That's great. And, but it's a municipal, it's a municipal th- function is what you're saying. Yes. It's not a, yeah. it's not a, yeah. So you're, I mean, you're state rep, but this is something that happened at the city level. Right. So currently I'm, uh, I'm on the Toledo City Council. Um, so I'm okay. the state rep elect. Yeah. Um, so okay. I'm in my capacity on Toledo City Council. Um, and I'll start my, my new role, uh, January 3rd. That's awesome. We're speaking with yeah. Michelle Grimm, the state rep elect of Ohio's 43rd congressional district. We had both Sam Cow and Sam Lawrence on our podcast, obviously two really awesome young gentlemen who ran for the state house as well in the Cincinnati area. Um, you know, to me, local politics is everything. Uh, and if you could talk about because that's one of the things that we learned here when we canvassed for a handful of local candidates. When you take the D and the R out of the name, people mm-hmm. really care about the policies. And you could have the most MAGA Republican and the most blue, uh, you know, progressive Democrat, and they can agree on a candidate very easily if they mm-hmm. know that that dividing line is not there. Can you talk about the impact that had for you as a city council member, and then ultimately what role that played, even though you did run as a Democrat for the state house? Yeah. Um, so yeah, our, my, my race on Toledo city council was nonpartisan. Um, that's not everywhere in the state, um, which I found out, um, because I've got some new colleagues who are on their local city councils and some of those are partisan. Mine was a nonpartisan race. Yeah. I I know. I was kind of surprised that not every, uh, community in Ohio was, was the same. So ours is ours, our municipal, municipal races are nonpartisan. And, um, so, you know, going door to door, I think, you know, everybody is worried about getting the roads fixed. Everybody's worried about, you know, making sure their, their sewers work properly and, and things like that. And, you know, I, um, just recently I had a really nice note, um, from a constituent I helped out. Um, they were worried about, um, uh, garbage along the expressway, um, and 
working through that to to see like what whose responsibility is is it is it the city's or is it or is it our um, Ohio Department of Transportation's responsibility to get rid of that trash? And they wrote back and said, you know, we probably don't agree on many things, but you really helped me out. Like I've been trying to get this done for two years. So I mean, we 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 care about you know light. We care about getting roads fixed. So yeah, I think that's something really important. And, you know, even though I ran as a Democrat, uh, as a state representative, this person actually lives in my, in my new district. So it's just like, please feel free to reach out anytime you like. Um, because, you know, again, we, we, we care, we care about those things. And so that was a really nice note. Um, and, um, kind of reminds you why you're in this to, to help people, to help, um, people take care of, you know, the everyday things that they need to take care of and, and, you know, to, to make sure that their neighborhoods are clean. So, yeah. What was your background? If you don't mind us asking, um, because I think it's always important that people really understand one of the worst parts of politics and both sides are habitually guilty of this. Um, the wrong people tend to always end up in politics, whether they're, you know, a high powered attorney, they could be a banker, uh, whatever it is, it's, it tends to be a profession that isn't on the ground really connecting with people the way that you really need Because those people can't afford to not work in order to run for Congress. Well, that's true too. So I, um, I have a master's degree in public health um, and I have a doctorate in public policy. Um, so I uh, worked um, in the HIV field for about 10 years. And then um, I worked for... Um, a federally qualified health center. I worked for um, health departments. Um, so, you know, I, I worked to um, increase access to uh, healthcare for underserved communities is what I did before I got into politics. And then um, I took a you know a little bit of time off to work on my doctorate in public policy. And um, I did my, um, I actually did my dissertation on extreme risk protection orders. Um, so, so yeah. And then, um, you know, once I got into politics, I was able to, you know, kind of expand on, I, you know, I think that getting into the local politics, I think is important to make sure that we do have someone with my background in office, um, especially like kind of looking at like, is healthcare the responsibility of local governments? Yes, I do think so. And, you know, this is, you know, uh, with medical debt uh, relief, I think this is uh, a good step toward that. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's, that, that was my uh, background. And, you know, now, now I'm uh, going to be serving the, the, uh, the great district 43, which is, you know, new. So um, really excited to do that. I think it's great. And I think the fact that you're coming from a nonpartisan seat has put you in a position to really understand a whole group of constituents that you wouldn't necessarily have known if you were just in this in a partisan way. I find that a lot of the people in our local Dem clubs, they don't even want you talking to the red people. Like they're, it's, it's, it's extremely ridiculous. So they, they would never know those people. They wouldn't have conversations with them. And I personally don't think that leads to good representation. So I appreciate that you're coming from where you talk to all the people. Yeah, no. And, and again, like I said, it's like, we, we agree on, you know, getting our roads fixed and, you know, making sure that we take care of light in our city and, um, 
curbing gun violence and things like that. So, I mean, you know, we, you know, there's a lot of things that, that we all have in common and, um, you know, it, you know, again, it's nice to hear, you know, from constituents who, you know, may not agree with you on everything that like you were able to help them out. And, you know, again, that's, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm, you know, in elected office is to, is to help folks out. So. You are a exceptional human being. Thank you um, so much cannot, for coming on and cannot, talking about uh, this. Well, yeah. you know, sometimes people don't realize, you know, and again, this is part of the problem with, um, you know, with the, with the, with the higher end side of politics uh, when it comes to the U S Senate presidency, things like that. Uh, you got to learn to crawl before you can walk. And very often, a lot of people, especially in our generation, are really getting into this. And, you know, as you like to say about me, a bit bright eyes, small stomach. Is that Big eyes, small stomach. Yeah. Like there's this, um, there's this, you know, there's this, uh, we can't, we can't get to that next level in terms of being able to really lay the foundation that we need, whether it is for universal health care, living wage or a clean energy grid, mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. types of things can only happen if local government is in the hands of people who truly care and can get the votes out in a way that is reflective of where the people want it to be. Right now, that is a far and few between thing that we have, but somebody like you who has done what you've done can really set the precedent for a lot of other places in this country. We are certainly hopeful that this is the type of message that gets out. We constantly hear people talk all the time about how a universal healthcare system is not possible. As I often say, we are removing the for-profit middlemen in between us and our doctors. They have no reason to exist. And if they didn't, medical debt wouldn't exist, among other things. And that is the selling point. Um, last thought before you go, what are you hoping to accomplish as a freshman representative in the state house? Is there anything that you have as a goal? Healthcare. Or a go- well, sure. But any particular goals that you may have? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I would I would love to bring this down to to the state house. We actually have a lot of uh, um, American Rescue Plan dollar. I would love to see this on a statewide level. Um, you know, also, I would like to um, find a way to expand um, funding for uh, student run free clinics. Um, those are, those have been really important in our area. Um, and you know, the, like we had one that was open, I think it was the only one open during COVID. So, and they, they administered so many COVID shots and, um, you know, they've been really important. And of course, um, you know, uh, violence against women issues. That's, that's the space I come from. Um, I was a rape crisis counselor for 10 years um, and, uh, mental health care and also, uh, lowering prescription drug prices. So, yeah, no, you're a good advocate for healthcare in general. I mean, and that's what we need. I know we've heavily been following the states that are trying to have single payer in their states. We've had representatives on from California and New York, um, talking about things like the New York health act. And I mean, it's not ideal to have to do things at the state level. Like we'd prefer to just wave a magic wand and have healthcare, but I feel like we just have to be attacking from every angle, you know? So anything that you're able to do in Ohio mm-hmm. is much appreciated. Michelle. Um, yeah, have, absolutely. Michelle, have you had a chance to speak with Nina Turner by any chance? Um, I, I was able to connect with her briefly and I need to, need to follow up with her. So, 
I hope she would have you on her new channel on Boston. I think you would make a fantastic interview. And I think that um, especially the importance of, you know, the people oh, of Ohio, you. that means as much to you as she does to her. So we'll be happy to spread the word along and we wish you all the very best. Have a wonderful holiday season and all the best. Go you know, kick ass there. Where it's a yeah, Columbus, right? It's Columbus. That's correct. Uh, I, we I saw the best there once. I saw the dead there once. Yeah, we won't talk about about Michigan, <laughs> Ohio State over the weekend, but we certainly we certainly oh, do wish God. you nothing but the best. So we hope to have you back on in the future. We, we obviously uh, really appreciate Absolutely. what you've done and hope this yep, yeah. and hope this sets precedent for a lot of other places. Thanks, well. Michelle. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Have hey. a good one. So, yeah, we're talking about local stuff, guys, but what we're talking about is something that's a that's like a paradigm shift that we could potentially use in other places to help give people some relief. It's not a solution to the problem, no. but it's helpful to people and people need help. So, you know, and I just I, I often wonder, you know, and we have our you know share of, you know, yes, dirtbag leftist said is very true. Uh, holy to the, okay, holy so here's the thing. When I was really little, and I mean really little, like under four, if I would be like par- pitching a fit or carrying on, my mom would always say, we're going to ship you to Toledo. And I don't know why she would use that phrase. I don't know what it was about. And then one time I was sitting there and I'm watching the news and it was like a blizzard in Toledo and it said it on the screen and I turned to her and I'm like, you want to send me there? Hi, Patty. <laughs> yes. Hi, Patty P. And I do think it, it we're, you know, we're just looking at this from the perspective of, you know, can we really, the, the justification behind the for-profit healthcare system just doesn't make any sense anymore. And so when people talk about- It does to the people you know, profiting. Oh, Guy, I was definitely rooting for Michigan. I can tell oh you Oh my much. God. Thanks, Guy. You yes. had to go there. I actually, interestingly, I really- feel like I channeled you yesterday because I spent the entire day basically watching football yesterday. I watched all three game times yesterday. Oh, your dolphins? It was crazy. I haven't done that in so many years. But yeah, my dolphins were looking good. I'm liking the new coach. Please don't yes. ruin this. He's trying is his, not to. No, Stephen Ross, I'm talking. I'm oh, talking. well, Stephen Ross is... Please don't ruin this. He's trying to cover this. his tracks right now, so... Don't ruin this. Let us have a good coach. Let us have a good coach. Yeah. So, you know, please... Please. Um, but yeah, I, I got to tell you, just watching football in general, there are so many young quarterbacks that are amazing right now. It really reminds me of like when it was Dan's rookie year, because it was also John Elway's John rookie Elway, year. And it was like a year after Jim Mon- Kelly. And you had Montana. You right. Had Boomer and I, Yeah, there was like this wave. And yeah. I feel like there are some kids, I mean, 23 years old. Right. He aged pretty well. But anyway, like that are reminding me of that. Like I was watching that. Who was that? Um, Hurts, Jaron Hurts, Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts. Man, I'm a Giants fan, and I hate the. I don't care whether you hate the Eagles. Oh, he's great player. He's something. He's something. I there was some seriously good quarterbacking yesterday. No, there was. And why did they change their helmets from green? This I take issue with. The whole Who? point of Philadelphia is that their helmets are supposed to be well, green. Well, no, they're just they they are, but they're wearing their alternate uniforms right now, where they have the black and green. I um, don't appreciate the black well, helmet. I, mean, I don't appreciate the black helmet. Not everybody can pull it off. No, not everybody's the way. It's not you know. It isn't just the helmet. It's the way the green and the silver and the white. It was a thing. 
Well, I bleed New York giant blue. I don't see why that makes, I rooted for your team. They didn't look so good. They lost to Dallas. That's well, not my problem. they were injured and they played the best they could. They were competing for a while, but I'll tell you, Saquon's drop right at midfield when the game was uh, a one point game, that was a very, very bad play. And we really lost uh, a lot. I, I, I just know it didn't look good for you, but I will say this. And I did shout out to that Aaron Rodgers because he's adorable. And, you know, it's like it's got to be hard. It's got to be hard because he has definitely been in this a long time. And he's like he's got 14 years on the kid he's playing against. Right. And he's got a team that doesn't have any real like he's got some issues that he's working Fairly. with. I feel a little bad for Aaron Rodgers, but I still am impressed by him. Well, speaking of New York, uh, we are very pleased to welcome back a very funny. Yeah, he's a funny guy. What can I say? He's a funny guy. Uh, Sean Fitzgerald, as you know him as the actual Justice Warrior. And this should be a very entertaining conversation because New York politics has definitely been thrown in a tizzy in the past few days. Was he in the city? I think maybe. I, I will yeah, find out. Something close. Something close. But to you're New talking York, about so. city politics. No, I'm talking about the whole state. State. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that that place has its issues. It's it's interesting. Yeah, I agree. And Metalopoly was saying something about like, the, why can't the blue states and the blue places get their shit together? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I know, but they don't want to listen to us. We know. It's corporate. No, because it's again, it's all about going back and forth. You may live in a very rural part of the United States where the budgets are a lot smaller and there isn't as much to manage. We're not meant to live on top of each other. No, we're not. We need, we need more decentralized population, but I digress. So we'll, okay. we'll talk about that in a lot more. Sean Fitzgerald, welcome back to Generational Change. Hey, Sean. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. I, How's it guys, going? I'm, it's going well. Can you guys hear me clearly? Because yeah. I just ran into the building in order to get up here. No, it's all good. So you're in New York. You're, are you in the city? Yes, I'm in the city, but not Manhattan. I'm in the outer borough. Nice for you. Nice for you. So there's all sorts of good nonsense going on there. I know you've been, you're, he's always interested in New York politics. I think you kind of love to hate it. Well, I think that it's like, I'm, I'm for non-corporate economic populism. And unfortunately, New York state is a lot different than New York City and there's just an endless amount of corruption. Um, I actually was at the Barclays Center the um, the night that Kyrie Irving came back, and I saw the Black Israelites, like 500 of them, like barricading the streets outside. I thought that was going to get really ugly, but uh, luckily enough, it didn't get so bad. Uh, what was your takeaway from the overall elections that took place? I have to say, because of the fact that and I do not have any love whatsoever. We will not agree on Lee Zeldin, but The Legend of Zeldin, you definitely made that work. That was a good slogan. Um, <laughs> can't, cannot hate on that, guys. That's too good. Um, because good. of the fact that he was so competitive against such a not-so-good candidate in Kathy Hockle, the GOP ended up picking off several House federal seats in the state. She's still the governor, though. She is. Okay. Yes. And at the same time, you're now seeing this very big scandal that's coming out of the Democratic Party with Jay Jacobs, the head of the, the, the New York State Party chair, very similar to our state party chair here in Florida, Manny Diaz. Uh, Michael Bloomberg, who I think is responsible for both of these guys being state party chairs, kind of amazing, right? Uh, what are your thoughts? What has been your takeaway overall from the elections in New York? How, do, how did you see it kind of unfolding from your perspective? 
So so I was a I was a big Zelda guy because I think on the one issue that I that was the key issue for me this go around crime he was the proper candidate on that. Also Kathy Holko I called her the accidental governor because she yeah. was governor because Andrew Cuomo sucks at hitting on women which is like <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly the best way to get your uh, to get your position, but you know it happens. And um, even though Zeldin lost, and I don't believe in symbolic victories. In fact, I can't stand them. Where it's like, well, our guy did well. It's like, well, no, wrong. That's the difference between Republicans and Democrats. You actually care if you win or not. Yeah. Well, it's also like it's also like um, if you're a third party kind of person. And I love my third parties. I love my, well, I want to say I love the Libertarian Party, but I love the theory of there being a Libertarian Party. Uh, The Libertarian Party in practice is a disaster, but like there's a great meme on gun control where it's like, oh, well, the the Republican got got a 48 percent. The Libertarian got two percent. And then the Democrat won and they passed the gun control that you didn't want. So like. You know, there there, there are problems yeah. with that. But overall, I think Lee Zeldin, the legend of Zeldin, did carry a bunch of swing counties and changed the map not only on the congressional level, but on the state level. There's a bunch of seats uh, in the state legislature that flipped that people didn't even think were in danger. Like the heads of the, of the Democratic Party in Brooklyn, like one of the one of the state positions ended up getting unseated in a state level election. And nobody saw that coming. There was a woman that I met when I went to go vote, this woman called Sharon Lau, and she was handing out hand sanitizer to people who said that they voted for her. And she was running against a guy who's like an institution, a guy called Kim. It's a Korean and Chinese neighborhood. So a lot of this was likely Chinese voters voting against the Korean person and Korean voters voting for this person, especially when only 20,000 votes were cast in this little election. Well, she came within 40. She was she she lost the election 49.5 to 50 something. So there was huge swings in Asians. There was huge swings in uh, in Jewish districts. There's like a a countywide map or, or a neighborhood wide map of New York City. And I think Zeldin's unique in that he is Jewish. So he was able to get the endorsements for those groups. But I've never seen a thing where you get an endorsement and they vote 90 percent like with the with the candidate that the group is supposed to represent. Like typically you see people do endorsements and you're like, how much is that worth? Well, apparently the Orthodox and Hasidic leadership, that's worth a lot because they endorse Schumer and they endorse Zeldin. They basically did Democrats except for Zeldin and all of those candidates got significant amounts of uh, votes in terms of uh, in terms of the election. Now, you know, Zeldin lost, but there are gains. You broke up the supermajority at the state level, and hopefully you see some kind of pushback on some issues that I care about. I'm speaking with Sean Fitzgerald. Did the, Gustavo keep his seat? Uh, yes, Gust- uh, Gustavo Rivera, who we do like a lot. Um, the main impetus for us is non-corporatism. Um, it's a huge problem in all politics, but especially New York City, where it's um, absolutely out of control. Cost of living is absolutely out of control. Um, crime is definitely a factor. What do you see it as being the main? What is the impetus from your perspective as to why that is the case? Because it, the, the numbers bear it out. Is that I mean, are you you're you're seeing increased crime numbers in New York? It's and are we talking problem. about violent crime or are we talking about crimes of poverty? So there, there, there are violent crimes that are up. 
Um, so for instance, murder in New York city was up 47% year over year post 2020. And a lot of that can be attributed to not just bail reform. In my opinion, I know people dispute this, but other pieces of legislation that were passed post George Floyd, there's about seven different reforms that really hamper the ability for the NYPD. And by the way, it's not just New York city. It's a statewide issue to deal with crime. So originally under the original bail reform, which they have made changes to this, they just listed off a bunch of crimes where you would be guaranteed a release without any bail. But the thing is, is like bail is a bit of a misnomer because people are uncomfortable about money being put up as the thing that determines whether or not you're free or not. It, it also got rid of the judge's ability to determine whether or not somebody was dangerous or not. So even if somebody you were going to hold without any bail period because you thought they were an ongoing threat to society, a lot of those people were released over and over again. And like, I, I do want to go to one local corruption story that I think you guys will like uh, related Please. to this that's off of that. Um, but there, and I, I don't think it will help New York City, but one of the minor issues in the gubernatorial campaign had to do with casino permits. And one of the solutions to like the stagnating New York City is to put us as to put a casino in the middle of Times Square, because I don't know if you guys know this Times Square is not very much a place where tourists and people go in order to see the area. And there's like a huge scandal with the fact that they're only giving out three of these permits. And one of the people who is seems like they're going to get one or two of them are very questionable. One of them obviously connected to Kathy Hochul. Like we all understand that game. The second one is uh, Steve Cohen. And apparently he wants to get that across from City Field. Now, I'm a huge Met fan. I love the fact that the Mets have the richest owner in baseball. For my own personal (laughs) joy, I can't get over how elated I am about that. But at the same time, I do not want to like have a system where you're going to have casinos. There's only going to be three of them. And it's obviously going to be pay to play. And obviously one of the richest guys in the city gets the advantage over everybody else. Not to mention, I don't necessarily think that casinos create the economic development that these people, that they promise. They don't. No. I've been to Atlantic city quite a few times. I'm from central Jersey. I can assure you it does absolutely nothing to help the area. Um, in it, fact, a lot of the people that work there are not from there. That's true, too. You, When you go into, and I've been in casinos in all different cities, you will notice it's almost like they pride themselves on having people from all over. So you'll you'll even see like the name tag and where they're from. It's like, um, yeah, it's not like it helps the local population. It's not like it's going to make housing affordable, for, more, more affordable for people in New York. One of the reasons why Foxwoods and Mohegan Sun are successful up in Connecticut is I'll because never they're go there now. all in the, they're, you know, they're in the middle of nowhere and their attraction is not, it, they don't lead with gambling. They lead with entertainment. And that is why they're able to keep it clean and relatively safe. Whereas... If you go to Atlantic City, if you go to, you know, Yonkers and, and, and certain places, you know, I've been to Detroit a couple of times. They put that MGM Grand right downtown. Let me tell you, I very rarely even like to go above anything above, like, let's say, Union Square in New York. So the fact that this is going to be going on up in the t- I'm never going there. Yeah, now. I won't cross New York's that. New already got area. enough problems as it is. You want to add in a casino situation? That's not going to help. That's uh, just- I, I think casinos can work in in very limited circumstances. Like obviously Vegas is a casino town. Now there's entertainment, there's food, there's all of that. But right. if you want to draw people to the desert, part of the appeal is, hey, you can gamble in Vegas. But even though I'm not a zero sum economics guy, the thing is 
the whole appeal of Vegas is like it's a trip, it's an experience, and all that. Yeah. And Atlantic City, to a similar extent, is the East Coast version that's definitely significantly worse than Vegas. I was going to say it's pretty, it's pretty uh, yeah. pathetic, but yeah, it, it's it's like the the California Disney versus uh, Orlando Disney. One is seriously better, and we all know that. But the thing is, is like if you just open up casinos everywhere, you're just going to get rid of the traveling portion of it and might end up creating a bunch of like, you know, degenerate gamblers. And I'm fine with people gambling in theory. But the problem is, is like I've been to casinos. It's not fun. Like I and no offense to the people who are at casinos. But when you look at them, you you don't want to gamble, in my opinion. I don't. Yeah. Well, there's two, there's two kinds of people in casinos. It's really interesting. Like there's the people that are just tourists that are just there for fun. Like for me, when I go totally like a good craps table, like I get into it, I'm spending this amount of money on, on playing games and that's it. Right. But I will say that I've seen it where it's like three o'clock in the morning and you see these guys like standing in the cash advance line and they're probably like giving up their kids college education to, to do this. And there is this sort of like underbelly kind of um current there that is i think local and a pro i do like i don't think it's ideal and i know even here because we have the seminoles have casinos and you do have the people that they'll just go sit at the slots like all day long and the house always wins i mean that's an expression for well, a reason so obvious right? but well, yeah I, well that's why i only play poker i won't play any i won't play any house games True. But then again, you know, all these places that I'm talking about, New York and uh, Connecticut, they all have the lottery, which the odds of the lottery are way worse. And like, that's a whole other issue about how it's going to go to education, which, by the way, the casinos, they say it's going to go to education. And I don't know if you guys know this, but the biggest lie in local politics is this new scheme is going to go pay for education, because what ends up happening is <laughs> they take that money, they legally earmark it for education, then they extract that exact same amount of money out of the education budget from general taxes and spend it on whatever they want. So it never actually increases the net spending on education. Yeah, exactly. Oh, we found that. I mean, we learned that in Florida forever ago. I mean, they told us that when we first started the lotto down here, that that was going to really be a boost to education. It did not. Hey, look, the, the, the tolls in New Jersey were supposed to just pay for the roads. And then once they were paid for, they would go away. And then they realized, oh, no, wait a minute. That's a cash cow. And for any of you who have to pay tolls going into New York City, just know that's the New Jersey Port Authority side that charges you an arm and a leg to get into New York. Um, so it's a crime, but it's New Jersey. So the one thing New York can make fun of us Jerseyites for is that as corrupt as New York is, New Jersey's got them beat probably by a, a healthy margin. But sure. One major issue that we are huge supporters of, as I'm sure you know, is universal health care. And obviously, the New York Health Act is the one policy in the progressive wing of the Democratic Party that has made some waves. It's obviously not getting anywhere because the pharma and the private insurance lobby is so big. From a libertarian perspective, how do you see the New York Health Act and how do you see universal health care overall, because our goal is to eliminate the for-profit middlemen in between us and our doctors. We do not want government-run health care. We just want government single-payer funded health care. Correct. Get the, so, get the corruption out of the equation. So yeah. you would be in favor more of a Canadian style versus a, a UK style, because UK, yeah. the government owns the hospitals. 
Yeah. The, the country that actually has it the best, believe it or not, is France. In terms of the overall rating system of the world, they have a they have a national single payer system and they also have a private supplemental market. If somebody wants to get some additional coverage that's not required, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But the basics of healthcare and not having to, you know, we just our last guest that we just had on, Michelle Grimm, who's a state representative in Ohio, was successfully able to cancel untold amounts of medical debt. The fact that we have medical debt is nuts. That shouldn't be a thing. The, the fact that that's only a thing in the United States yeah. is crazy. And if we had a single payer system, it wouldn't. Exist. I'm very open minded. And I just have this thought that if we really wanted to do it, we could not only do it, but we could probably do it better than any other country and actually figure out a way to make like all the best parts of those systems work for us. That's what I think. Well, I, I'm not sure about the New York, the New York state health act. Um, but usually these state level programs, even if they get voted in end up never materializing because they end up too costly, at least for a state government to set up. Now we'll, we'll likely disagree on the costs at the federal level, but like, I don't have an issue with people advocating for universal health care as long as they advocate for it in an honest way. Because one of the things that people don't realize is that the American expectation of what you get out of a healthcare system is significantly higher than what you would get out of a European style system, which is a lean healthcare system that's supposed to cover your basic needs. And you pointed to one of those rating systems. I'm not exactly sure which one uh, you're referring to, but what I often find when I look into those rating systems is that there's a lot of biased metrics in order to produce the outcome that America is the lowest ranked out of all the systems. It's I'm not saying that we don't have problems or anything like that, but a perfect example of this would be when they factor in infant mortality, but they don't adjust infant mortality as it pertains to the different countries. So like in America, we have a pro-life movement. I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard about it. <laughs> and because of that pro-life movement, the way we count infant mortality is if it's alive for a second and it dies, then that is infant mortality. Like that counts in our statistics. And you're saying other other countries don't count that as a live birth. Yeah. So in 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 France, as an example that you brought up, they actually have a a threshold of an, an amount of weeks that the that it's alive. I don't uh, that it's uh, been um, like through the process. So if we have like a birth that starts at 14 weeks and then the baby dies because 14 weeks, like Jesus Christ, then we count that in infant mortality. I believe France has a 20 week standard where if it's anything below that, it doesn't necessarily count. Some European countries have a standard where they where they only count a birth if it's alive for 48 hours. Otherwise, they count it as some other different way. And you really can't compare those apples to apples when they're not apples to apples statistics. And according to the CDC, if we counted our you know infant mortality in the same way that the average European country would have, we would actually be quite comparable to like Sweden or one of those Scandinavian countries. So like I, I do have issues with individual metrics and like what they're actually measuring in terms of a comparison. But overall, as long as you're advocating for what the European model or like an Australian model is, which very few people do, which is a lean, hopefully efficient healthcare system that covers your basic needs, and but you have to pull back your expectations of what you think you're going to get from a healthcare system, then I'm fine with people advocating for it, even if I might disagree. Yeah, I, I mean, I yeah. understand completely what that is. I actually had a friend 
um, from high school that I know. And uh, she, two of her kids were born in Spain when she was living there. And one of her kids was born here. And like the, the health, the maternity and all that in Spain was you didn't have private rooms and it was definitely more, but yet, and here's what's interesting. And this is somebody with means and, and was able to have a private room here and all that stuff with the baby born here. She preferred it there because overall, she just said the experience was just so much better as an experience. So even though, yes, it was more, I guess, what we would consider to be bare bones, I guess those bones were more quality. Like, I, I don't know, like she just said it was the way that she was treated, the way, because when everything isn't about charging you for things, because now when you're in a hospital, you have like your scan code. And every time that they charge you, they scan you, they scan the thing, like all of the administrative stuff, all of that crap really does not add to a pleasant experience in, right. in especially when you're having a baby. Like, it's just crap. Oh. So I actually like the idea of having that. And yeah, if people want to have private, have private. I don't mind there being private as an option. Like you can have, go have your own personal thing. I mean, go there do are things that you people want. might want to get that would not be considered, as you're saying, Sean, and I agree a thousand percent, uh, being able to go to the doctor two or three times a year to make sure that you're healthy and get a basic checkup and not have to. And, and the fact that we have a for-profit hospital system that shouldn't exist. Those are the types of things that I think universally. And this is where we constantly talk on our program about how progressives and libertarians actually cross over in a lot of places, believe it or not. It's way more financially efficient and economically efficient to have single payer health care. The, the, the whole libertarian mantra is to be the most fiscally responsible that you can possibly be. And having a universal system without the excess fat is one of the main ways that I believe that this crossover can happen. But as you know, in our country, because of our completely engulfed in corporate power system that we have, it isn't just one layer. It's like you can have health care, but you still have billions and billions in subsidies to the fast food industry, which is going to continue to cause these health problems and these health costs that will stay where they are and make it very difficult for it to be a reasonably priced single payer system. So if you're going to knock down one domino, I think you got to knock down quite a few. How do you see it? Right. I I, I mean, I, I think like I think there's upsides and downsides and people should acknowledge the trade offs. Like so before, like, you know. Like, like, I, I just want people to do that before they get into this debate, because a lot of people have a very pie in the sky view of what the Europeans actually have. But I will say there there are certain reforms, because one of the biggest problems, in my opinion, about the healthcare market is that it functions almost like no other market in the country. Now, I understand that there's a lot of people who are under the belief that demand is inelastic. So because people are always demanding healthcare, they think that market forces don't work in terms of the healthcare market. But if you look at optical care, which again is not as essential as other forms of healthcare, prices have consistently gone down. Like you can go into, and I don't recommend BJ specifically, or a Costco or a CVS and get your eyes examined. Now, I, can vouch, I can't vouch for the quality of all those places because I went into a BJ's and got my eyes examined and they told me I was legally blind. And then I had to get the exam all over again. So that was a waste of 80 bucks. But still, 80 bucks to get a prescription for, for eyes when it actually works is not that bad of a deal. And so in terms of like optometry, we've seen, or ophthalmology, whatever it's called, we've seen prices come down and market forces work. 
And one of the things that I think we should not be so hesitant against is certain market reforms, even if they sound counterintuitive. So one of the things that I learned is that Medicare can't negotiate prescription drugs, right? And I think that they should be able to. And I look at Joe Biden's proposal, and I think that his proposal is ridiculous because it's like you can negotiate 10 drugs maybe in 2026 <laughs> and then 10 more in like 2030. And that's supposed to be a solution. And they they put out, by the way, that you're going to save this much money on prescription drugs when none of those are going to materialize. And we have no idea what you know future legislatures are going to do when that negotiation period comes up. However, we have a Medicaid system that – I'm sorry, I can't – I see your lips moving, but I can't hear you. No, no I'm sorry. Go, keep – go, go, oh, go. The side, it was a sidebar. It was a quip. Oh, so Medicaid, um, Medicaid actually mandates that they get the cheapest drug prices on the market. And I initially was like, oh, well, that makes sense. Medicaid is for people with no money, and we don't want people – to you know, basically extort money out of the Medicaid system. But the problem is the way that plays out is that because they know that Medicaid is going to have to get the cheapest drugs, they end up raising the drug prices to such a high degree that once they get through with the insurance negotiations, they still feel like they can make money off of Medicaid. So a lot of people will point out that prescription drug companies have like this level of profits during the course of the year, but they don't acknowledge that by the time you get to the end of the year, these prescription drug companies have to throw out a crap ton of rebates to Medicaid that significantly cut into that. So I think negotiating your prescription drug prices is fine, but but a blanket mandate that you get the cheapest one actually has unintended consequences that make us all pay more for prescription drugs. Also, we need to be able to import insulin from, you know, scary countries like Canada or the UK or or any of these <laughs> supposed third world hell holes that supposedly don't make insulin right. Like there's a bunch of different things that we institute that make our market not a market. And it's disastrous. You, you well, well, if you're talking about the senator from Vermont, I used to say when I was uh, I would take the old ladies and they would uh, drive across the border into Canada and we would get 10 percent of the price for those prescription drugs. And it's true. It is true. We are living in a, well, we're living in a hellscape in many ways. I think everyone it's a knows corporate, that. It's a corporate oligarchic hellscape. Yeah. And we got to find ways to come together. And that's why these conversations I think are very important. And I don't want to hear nothing about how, you know, you, you know, tend to lean, you know, right politically and that makes you a bad actor or vice versa on the other side. It's like, we're not going to agree on everything, but you know what? One of the reasons, I think one of the main reasons to advocate for a living wage is because I don't want people living on the government dole. That, that to me, is one of the reasons why, as a small business owner, so many of these things are interconnected. If you're able to have, let's say, universal health care, you don't have to worry about paying your employees' health care. That allows you to pay higher wages, generally living wages, and that doesn't have to require your employee to have to say, you know, like they do at Walmart, oh, by the way, here's the welfare office, give them a call and, you know, start taking government funds so we can get a subsidy. It's like, I think we can all agree that that type of shit is the stuff where we can all come together to kind of fix this economic crisis that we're living in right now. Because I do think the next two years are going to be hell. I really do. 
I don't know what you think is coming in 24. I know what's coming in 24. Well, I mean, my money's on DeSantis. We're rooting for Manchin and Parliamentarian for the Democratic Mm. ticket in 24. Mm. These are the two most powerful party people in our party. That's who should be our ticket. Manchin and Parliamentarian. I don't know her name, so we'll just call her prom. That's what I'm calling in 24. Sean, what's your prediction for 24? Um, I'm not sure as of right now, like Trump is... uh, unstoppable juggernaut it seems at least in the republican uh party and you know there's no way unless you have a bunch of candidates running which is actually a doable strategy in the republican party not in the democratic party um due to the way that they allocate delegates that desantis can steal it i mean i've put out the theory that mitt romney is coming back and people are laughing at me but if you think about it in the republican primary if you win the primary it doesn't matter what percentage of the vote you get if you win 20%, but there's 30 candidates in the race, right. you get 100% of the delegates. This is right. how Trump won. He got 30% in almost every state. That was enough with 25 people in the field. Yeah. And then he became the nominee. So theoretically, if you have a bunch of people clogging up the Trumpian MAGA-like lane, you know, DeSantis, who's running in that lane, Yunkin, who yeah. might want to run in that lane. Well, Yunkin, if he runs, will be running in that lane then you could throw out an establishment guy and Mitt Romney wants to be president more than anybody in the United States of America. Make no mistake about it. He forced old man Orrin Hatch to retire so he could have that Senate seat. And he that so he did that for a reason. He tried to be Trump's secretary of state for a reason. So, you know, it is possible that he could get a certain portion of the vote if he if he runs that strategy. Now, Romney is considered super toxic, but I, I do think he has a legitimate chance or somebody like him, which, you know, Romney's the stand-in for somebody like him. And he's not too old because everybody running for president has to be, you know, like 80, apparently. That's the new rule. Yeah. And, you know, but it's funny because you're saying that I think that the Republican primary is going to be such a fun freak show because I do think you're going to have like Kanye in there. I think it's going to be ridiculous. And because of that, yeah, it, it doesn't take much for somebody to win. And remember, like, Trump was having to stand up against people like Ted Cruz. Nobody likes Ted Cruz. I don't even think Ted Cruz likes Ted Cruz. Well, well, people hate in the Republican Party hate Ted Cruz so much that the <laughs> Ohio governor, John Kasich, refused to get out of the race when it was clear that Ted Cruz was the only other person besides Trump that could win, thus handing him the nomination. And people are saying, like, I, I'm, I'm definitely crazy for Mitt Romney. I understand that Mitt Romney's not popular and he shouldn't be the nominee. But if you're predicting a chaotic primary cycle where yeah. everybody's clogging up the Trump lane, then somebody as the alternative to Trump can succeed. And it's not like I suggested Lindsey Graham, who ran for president last time, although nobody remembers it. Like, like Mitt Romney is a guy with money. He, he can fund his own campaign early on. Huge donor connections. And again, he could pull in like 15 percent of the vote, which may be enough at certain points during the uh, during the thing. And by the way, the, the I don't know if Kanye is going to run as a Republican, but if he does, the Republicans make it a point to do debates on CBS and on MSNBC and CNN. So the Democrats don't do their primary debates on Fox News at all. So there's a chance that they would platform Kanye West on the stage against Trump, which would be amazing. It would be ridiculous. Why yes. not throw Herschel Walker in there for fun for a real intelligent conversation? That oh would be like God. a Mensa meeting. <laughs> He's about to lose his Senate seat. So, you know, yeah. he should not be there. 
Okay, he's he, he was now just saying that people born after 1990 should have to earn their citizenship and their right to vote. It, but again, he's been a sideshow from the very yeah, well, beginning. Yeah. And there's been a and there is something to be said about Trump's decision making. But he really is just <laughs> looking for acolytes that are willing to just do exactly as he says. And that's the I think in many ways is that sort of conundrum that the GOP is stuck in right now, trying to figure out, you know, what is the pathway away from Trump, which would be perfect opportunity for someone like Mitch, Mitt Romney to come in and like kind of be I like, remember me? Remember when Republicans were sane yeah. and didn't have mean tweets? I mean, I think- I, 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 if I wanted to win, like I would choose Ron DeSantis. Like there, there's this guy's a talented politician. He looks kind of he, even though Romney looks more presidential. I know, I know, people say this doesn't matter, but it kind of does matter because people, whenever they ask who would be the best actor president. They pick George Clooney. Like, why George yeah. Clooney? Like, it's- I could do, but I could actually give you good philosophical and political reasons as to why George Clooney. But anyway, but like, could I you could would. you could you legitimately ideologically separate him from other actors in a way that was distinct, or is it yes. just he looks the <laughs> yes. most presidential? No, actually, I could actually d- distinguish. Like, he is the he was like the only person that owned private satellites, so that he was keeping an eye on South Sudan from being able to like uh, commit a genocide. So like this is somebody who was able like got arrested for fighting for something that he believes in. So this is somebody who is actually an activist. And so that is something to me that is different than just because he looks good. I'm um, right. just I'm like this is somebody that has put in a lot of work. And I've, yeah, I've often said that the reason why DeSantis appeals to so many people is that when you get right down to <clears> it, <throat> it's all innately, humanely instinctual. Um People gravitate to leaders that want to kick ass and take names. And no the truth how is, much have you seen they... the wife? Have you seen the family? Yes, yeah. it, 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 I saw his wife. I, ne- I I don't look into politicians' families, but I saw his uh, acceptance speech or his victory speech, and I yeah. saw his wife. I'm like, oh, nice looking lady. Apparently, she survived cancer. You know, it's a it's a it's a winning combination. But also, DeSantis can govern, which is which is what if I was if I was in the Democratic Party, I would be most scared of of all. Because, you know, there's that story of the bridge in Pine Key that broke down uh, during the storm. Sanibel. Yeah, they had that bridge up and running in in less in, in a little over 48 hours. Nothing gets built in this country ever without like 10 years of environmental impact studies. Now, I'm exaggerating right. because I live in New York, although California is significantly the worst in this category. But. They were able to get that done. And, you know, before the storm, the media was trying to bait him into fighting with the federal government. And he's like, no, um, they they were like, oh, what do you think about Biden, this or that? He's like, no, uh, the the person, the head of FEMA contacted me. I, I'm on, like, basically, I'm on speed dial. We're working out a response. They declared the emergency before. So DeSantis really knows how to govern and he can appeal to the base by doing things that are basically him running for president. Like that whole thing, which was labeled the don't get, say gay bill, even though it technically wasn't, it was a it was actually quite the clever troll because he linked it to third grade and below in order to get people to freak out. Like that wasn't really meant for education in Florida. That was actually meant to say, hey, I'm running for president. Like he's done yeah. a few of those things like the 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 tech censorship protection. We all know that a state isn't going to really be able to protect you from big tech censorship. But when he did that, he's like, hey, I'm running for president. This is what team I'm on. 
So he's he's in a great position if he runs in 2024, if not for the big orange man in the room. And I have a theory about Ron DeSantis that one of the reasons why he outscored Marco Rubio with the Latino vote is that people think that he might be Latino because of his last name. Well, that's interesting. I, I, we, you know, we live here, so we have been under him. And the really, the one argument that actually Charlie Chris made that I think is valid about Ron DeSantis is, and this is something that I just don't like personally. I don't like it when somebody runs for a seat knowing they're going to run for another seat before finishing the seat that they're in. That's just personally, like, I've never liked that. It doesn't ever sit well with me. And that in and of itself would not be a reason for me not to support somebody, but it is a negative. I don't like that because what you're doing is you're, you're sort of like using the us as a stepping stool and then leaving us with whoever is there with you. I don't right. know. I don't, I don't love I that idea. I didn't, I don't like when I didn't like that Nikki Freed gave up her seat to, to go and, and do that and leave it up. It's like, I don't know. I just feel like I'm, it's not finishing your job. Few people are going to pull a Lee Zeldin and give up a seat that he flipped in the Congress and then held for like three or four terms and then run for governor with no escape route. Uh, but like this happens all the time in American politics. Like I understand this because I I, I used to be a big fan of Jesse the Body Ventura. So like we are big fans. Yeah, love love the cons- love love the conspiracy stuff. But he's like you should resign from your office when you run for a new office. And I understand that from like a gut level. But in yeah. reality, nobody does that. I mean, Obama was a senator, a first term senator. He ran for president. I didn't um, love that either. Yeah, but um, Hillary Clinton actually used um, uh, New York as a stepping stone to run for president. Like she, like the Clintons are are Arkansas based, and she just ran for senator in New York because she knew she could win in New York, and then used that as a launching pad to run her presidential campaign, which was always the plan, a hundred percent of the time. Uh, I really, I, I gotta tell you, Sean, I really do not want to hear anything about Hillary these days. I mean, did you see that that I showed you this afternoon? Hillary just cannot give it up. She's still putting out things saying my emails and trying to make money off of that. It's uh, she abuses me to no end. And God help us all. Uh, uh, your impersonations are on point. I saw the chat react to your Bernie and now your Bill. He does like, a Bernie too. Oh, look, I, I just, I got to come on here and, you know, just let people know that Hillary's thinking about running in 24. And oh, um, I'm just, I don't know how much longer I'm going to last, Jen. I'm, I'm kind of dying. Why don't here. you go back to Epstein's Island, Bill? Uh, I, well, I have never been there. I yeah. do not even know who that guy is. Yeah. And no, I had nothing to do with him not surviving in that New York prison. Oh, yeah. Thing. He got Arkansas-ed, no, Bill. He definitely. Uh, <laughs> uh, Sean, uh, I definitely was not there when he uh, met his demise. That's all I can say. Yeah. And no, I did not pay off any, uh, you know, jail cell uh, yeah. guard or whatever. Whatever. <laughs> He just unfortunately decided he couldn't handle it anymore and decided he was going to tie his neck around the noose and have two guys hold him up. You know, they were just doing him a favor. He yeah, didn't yeah, actually yeah. ask for that to happen. So I uh, just well, want to come on here and state my case. Well, Mr. Clinton, I would, Mr. President, I would just like to say that uh, everything bad about, I ever said about you is untrue. Please don't hurt me or my family. <laughs> don't Arkansas. <laughs> All right, I promise. Don't arc inside, Sean. I, I promise I won't hurt you. But if you look <laughs> over your left shoulder, you know, if you keep 
talking the way you talk, you might be looking like that guy in no time flat. So just giving you a little advice. <laughs> I usually don't do that for most people, but I'll do it for you because you you seem like a decent guy. <laughs> and uh, just remember, uh, you're not that far from Chappaqua. <laughs> I, I come <laughs> find you anytime I want. So nice <laughs> to see you. I, I, I will say for, for DeSantis, like the, the thing that they're knocking him with right now is that the, um, is that a lot of the Republican establishment people are trying to get behind him. So they're saying that he's very Republican establishment and he's more palatable to the Republican establishment for sure than Trump. They're just trying to oust him. But the thing is, is the reason that they're rallying around Ron DeSantis is because he's perceived as a winner. Like these people rallied around Jeb Bush in the last go around. And then they went to Marco Rubio. Like they went from candidate to candidate to candidate to be anti-Trump. But after Trump got elected, 99% of the never Trumpers, 98% of them got on board because what people want in American politics more than anything is a winner. Like winning an election will be the ideological shift rather than anything else. Like Bill Clinton, like the Democrats ran more left-wing candidates than Bill Clinton and they lost to Reagan and Bush won. Bill Clinton won due to third party in his first term, but then he won a majority of the vote and Bill Clinton became the standard bearer so much so that in 2016, they nominated Hillary Clinton as the candidate. But more importantly, they cleared the field essentially for her to run as the candidate in 2016. Oh, yeah. So, you know, like that's what people want. And so DeSantis is looking like a winner and a big knock for him is that Ann Coulter's on his side and Ann Coulter, say whatever you want about her, has a really good finger on the pulse of the Republican Party. Let me tell you, I watched that episode. I loathe Ann Coulter. I, well, that's neither here nor there. But oh, I it's did, here. I, I watched the Bill Maher episode in the spring of 15 when she said Donald Trump and everyone in the audience was laughing their head off thinking that this is a joke. And I'm thinking, I don't know about that. Ann Coulter. So you're saying she's on. she's talking Ron DeSantis. I mean, we've been saying that for yeah. a long time. Well, well, he'll, well, but Ann, we're here. Ann Coulter is fiercely, uh, you know, uh, very, uh, I wouldn't, you know, again, you could call it whatever you want, but it, when it comes to immigration, she is very hard right and she perceives DeSantis uh, to essentially be the same way. Wait until um, she finds out he really isn't. Well, yeah, well, that's well, she, she said, she said that she voted for Trump for a wall. And yeah. he didn't build the wall. And that's why yeah. he's going to lose in 2020. She she also said in 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 the lead up to the 2012 election mm-hmm. that um, that if Chris Christie didn't run, then Romney would take the nomination and Obama would smoke him in the general election. And that like she happen. later walked that back and endorsed Romney after the fact. But she was right. And we all know she was right. And she also said that if Christie didn't run at his time, which was then, that he would be irrelevant going forward. And guess what? Chris Christie, 2016, totally irrelevant. The most irrelevant candidate on that stage, maybe besides Lindsey Graham. You know, it only really <laughs> matters because of just how undemocratic our electoral system is. But if you were to have... Ron DeSantis versus Joe Biden, a man who is 44 versus a man who is 82. I'm sorry, Ron DeSantis will not only beat Joe Biden, oh, it'll be he brutal. will beat him handedly. He'll beat him probably with 30 to 32 states. And so if that is the case, do you see Joe, despite what the Democrats are saying right now, do you see Joe Biden running again? And if he does, will he be challenged or be? Is it just smoke and mirrors until the spring when in reality he's not going to seek reelection? How do you see that unfolding on the Democratic side? 
Well, as far as like whether or not Joe Biden will be challenged, it's it's really the level of the challenge because, you know, Trump was technically challenged in the 2020 primaries. Did you notice? Neither yeah. did I. Like well, it was, Mr. Weld. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was not a real challenge. Right, so, right. I, sure. I've been on the camp that Biden is running in 2024. No doubt about it. This man wants to be president. He like all these guys want to be president a whole bunch. Biden won the victory. He won it on Obama nostalgia. But you know what? A victory on Obama nostalgia is a victory nonetheless. And he overperformed expectations in the midterms. So now he would be emboldened to stay in. I don't think he's going to step down. The Democratic bench is actually weak. The problem with the Republicans is they got a guy clogging up their slot from their perspective. And their bench is actually coming out to be strong for this go around. And that probably won't be true in 2028. But right now, the Democratic bench looks incredibly weak. So he's definitely going to run. And he has a good chance of winning. Like, again, he's outperformed expectations. Biden is very non-threatening. And, you know, he can't hide in the basement for his whole campaign. But there's a lot you can do when you're actually in the office that can help you retain that second term. So I actually think Biden has a good chance. I was a big I was big on Biden winning the primary just based on how the Democrats organized the states. And I don't think there's going to be a significant challenger from within the Democratic Party, because who would that be? Like you could say Bernie, but Bernie never challenged somebody who is a sitting Democratic president in a primary. He didn't challenge Joe the way he needed to when they were running. Exactly. In the primary when they were running. equals. Exactly. You know, it's like Bernie. The only time I ever saw Bernie go for the knockout was during the 2016 primary after he won after he won the Michigan primary and they did a debate down here in Miami and he went after Hillary in a way that he only did one time but it was the greatest debate performance I ever saw he should have been the president we all know they rigged the primary against him he wasn't willing to fight back against that in regards to the different types of electioneering tactics they were doing the closing the pub again it was a whole systemic corruption that they did I, I, so but, I'm gonna disagree on the primary being rigged against Bernie Sanders because they didn't need to rig it. Now, that doesn't mean that the DNC wasn't in the tank from Hillary Clinton. It is well documented that she essentially sold the VP seat to, uh, what's his face? That uh, what, what was her VP pick? Uh, it was um, oh, uh, uh, Tim Kaine. Tim Kaine. He was the yeah. head of the DNC. He stepped down, recommended Wasserman Schultz, and somehow this like nothing VP pick ended up on Hillary Clinton's ticket. It's kind of obvious what went down there. So, yeah, they had control of the DNC. They had control over a bunch of different things. The superdelegates never really came into play. But, yes, the network's putting that on the screen to make it seem like she was 2,000 ahead before anybody voted. Obviously, it was meant to do, like, psychological damage. But the real problem that Bernie Sanders had is that he was lacking in black support and black voters in the South tend to vote for the establishment Democrat. And the way that the Democratic primaries are structured, it goes Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and then it's South Carolina. And from then on, you hit a state after state after state of majority black states for the Democratic primary voters. This is one of the reasons why a year and a half out from the Democratic primary, I'm like, listen, Joe Biden's going to win because they haven't significantly changed the order of the states. 
And Joe Biden is popular among black support. This is why no matter how bad his debate performance was, as long as he never dropped below 40 percent of the black vote, Joe Biden had that thing in the bag, which is why I should have just chucked all my money on Biden and actually put my money on it. But I was saying it over and over and over again. So, yeah, the Democrats wanted Hillary Clinton for sure. And they definitely did not have a neutral DNC, but they didn't need to rig it. Like the strategy, like the primary order was already significantly in Joe, Bi um, Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden's favor. I would definitely say that that was more true in 20 than it was in 16. 16 was a different situation because there were, I mean, I was involved with the Bernie campaign from the very beginning. And there were things that I saw that just lend to this idea that they're going to do everything in their power to make sure he doesn't win. And if they have to take it to the length of doing things like electioneering tactics that I saw happening in St. Louis, where the Democratic Party of Missouri was literally handing out leaflets at the polls telling people to vote for Hillary Clinton. It's, it's those types of tactics. Yeah. Were they going in and breaking open the electoral voting machines like that? It was Russia that did this and that. And it's like, no, there's different ways to actually cheat the voting populace. There's a way where it's it's not flipping votes, but it's still done in a way that isn't legitimate. And that is it part and parcel. You know, Bernie didn't call it out. And there were a lot of things that he didn't do that he should have done. The problem we have is what if there is an opportunity for a non-corporate populist to rise up and try to challenge the system in the near future? I don't know who that's going to be because right now it isn't anybody. There isn't anybody coming in 24. It's either going to, as you suggested, probably Biden or it's going to be somebody like Trump or DeSantis. But if the opportunity is going to come at some point down the road, even like you suggested Mitt Romney, uh, whatever goes forward you know, there's a lot of these, like I said, crossover issues that we can agree on where eventually there's going to be somebody who's going to take that mantle and is going to run with it. Even something as simple as what Mark Cuban has been doing with cost plus drugs. I mean, he's literally jumping over the system and is saving people millions and millions of dollars. And even though I'm not sure he necessarily has a desire to run for president, just that alone is something that would appeal to so many people. I just think this system, as it's currently constructed, and, is breaking down, and, and we're looking for something else. We're and, and the, way, the way Cuban is doing that, by the way, and I've actually seen people criticize him for this, and it's outrageous, is he doesn't take insurance, Medicare, or Medicaid. He cuts out the third party, and that's the way he's able to deliver prescription drugs directly. And I remember when that program came out, and uh, Anna Kasparian over at the Young Turks did this hit piece on him where it was like, oh, well, he's not covering every drug. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, that would be impossible to start a business tomorrow and like cover every drug. But his starting point, uh, which he was getting attacked for somehow, was over 100 generic drugs from the jump. That That's what he wanted at launch is over 100 generic drugs. The the Biden thing that they're touting about is like it's it's like 10 or eight drugs in three years, maybe like it, it. I think it helps a lot. And I think it it is a big factor. And I, I would like to see more actual market oriented solutions for healthcare. I mean, there there's an insurance company that will actually fly you from your state to San Diego, pay for a bus ticket for you to go in Mexico in order to buy yourself insulin, then come back and get back on the plane and go back home because that's cheaper than the program that we currently have because we have a bunch of import issues wow. even with Mexico. So like, I, and you can look up the story. It's, it's insane. And, 
And maybe they won't do it now with the price of airfare, but like when airfare was cheaper, that was an option. And it's because we're blocking a lot of competition from our healthcare system. And I it's we're in this weird, horrible situation where we have the worst aspects of a government system and the worst aspects of something being run by businesses combined. Right. And that's one of the reasons why, like, you know, the debate about healthcare is so problematic because everybody's like, well, we're in this crappy middle. Which direction do we go? But everybody typically accuses the other person of being at fault. Like we're doing too much of yours or this or whatever. But it's like we need to acknowledge the problems that we have. And if we have any principles if we have the principle of free market competition, then we need to acknowledge where there's no free market competition. If we want the government to run something in a way that benefits the people, we have to acknowledge that where the government is actually working against its citizens in the healthcare system. Yeah, well, this is what I mean. <clears throat> I have no problem with capitalism for things that are non-essential items. But in a functioning society, I just don't think certain things should be for-profit industries. And healthcare, education, and corrections should not be for-profit industries. And when they are, it changes your civilization, not for the better. Well, and what, and what's what about food? Food food would be more important. Like you don't think well, food, food is, but but you know, you're talking about like base staples of certain, I mean, like food stamp stuff, but like I also simultaneously support a living wage. And so <clears throat> if all of those things were in play, yeah, you people still need to buy food and people could still make money. But right now there's gouging is out of control. Like right now, what we're seeing is some serious corporate gouging. And that is the stuff that, yeah, I would like my government to step in and be like, yeah, this, this isn't this isn't right. It's illegal to do it after hurricanes. If there's a disaster, you can't be selling ice for $100 a bag. That's illegal for a reason. And that's the kind of stuff that we need to sort of, we need to rein in the greed. And I just, to me, healthcare and education, Hello. Hi. Well, so sorry. I don't know what happened. Well, just big, well, well, Big Pharma decided that um, we were saying a little too much. I'm not and, that conspiracy well, minded. The, the the reason I bring up food is we we have a market system in food, which is very important. And like you know, we have too much food in the United States of America, or uh, we have a lot of crap food. But a lot of that can be attributed to the way that we subsidize corn because you know farmers are an important lobby, and you got to pay them off. Even though countries with no farm subsidies don't have dramatic food shortages it's just not a thing it's what they do countries that have no farm subsidies actually have um farmers as not an important voting block like that's the biggest determinant so like i don't think that this idea that like you can't provide something that's essential through the market is is 100 percent borne out through the facts i i think markets are great at providing what people need because or because what people need typically is what they want what they desire and there are issues that you can that you can deal with, but like I don't think that those issues overall are are uh, are as dramatic as as you're laying out. Maybe you know I just to me we're all better off when we're all better off. Like I want to be around educated, healthy people. 
That's just my personal preference. And the way to do that is to have it be something that we all agree is part of our society. Like we're, and we don't have resource constraints with healthcare. We have the resources to provide what we need to provide. That's not the problem. Um, and, and there really isn't a reason other than the people skimming the money in the middle as well, to why we have the most outrageous healthcare costs. Well, th- there are, there are resource constraints in healthcare. Like, I mean, you know, like with anything, like for instance, we have, we have constraints on, on medical doctors, like the American medical well, association. We do, but we're not at that level. My point is we have enough resources in this country for everybody to have healthcare. We do. We have the resources for everybody to have health care. You bring up a great point, though, Sean, because one another factor is, you know, whether you have tuition-free public college and obviously tuition-free trade schools, you know, there's a lot of people who I'm sure would love to be doctors in this country. They don't want to go hundreds of thousands of dollars into debt. The number one profession for student debt in the United States is actually doctors. Not sure how many people know that. But think about the constraints that that puts on people. Well, there, there's also there's also and I forgot what this was called. It's um, I think it's called the certificate of need. And you you guys are in Florida, you said, right? Yes. Yeah. So Florida, you you actually have a law like this. It's called the certificate of need, which basically says that if you're going to establish a new hospital, and I believe this came up when uh, they wanted to open uh, something like related to hearts in Florida, like a new cardiac center, they had to prove to the government that they weren't going to compete with the other hospitals that do that. Now, like that is a constraint on supply. And to me, that's ridiculous. Like if I'm going into business, like even if this was a nonprofit or whatever, it doesn't matter. But like theoretically, if I'm going into business, the healthcare business, why should I have to approve? Why should I have to prove to the hospitals that already exist in, in the supposedly free market in supposedly free market, Florida, that, I'm not going to compete with them. Like, you know, all to me, all the result that results in is the people of Florida are short a cardiac specialist when they would need it or a hospital with a cardiac specialist. And a bunch of states in this country have have certificates of need requirements that limit the number of hospitals that will be created. And I think that's absurd. And that's one of the things that helps keep prices up. We're like locking in what we have now resource constraints and it's not just at the hospital level but the american medical association makes it very difficult to become doctors and you know we can't even get doctors again from like third world held holes that are clearly modern western countries to come over without meeting some of their requirements and i think all of this plays into the fact that we have more expensive health care yeah yeah we're not that we're also not the healthiest country that is another big part of the problem and, and I think I, if we're being honest, I would I would also say that, you know, about the constraints in healthcare, there are certain things that are just constrained, like uh, Ben Shapiro and um, what's that late night host like Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, yeah. They had an issue with their infant that um, they had a problem with their heart that there's a surgeon that fixes that in the womb. Right now, this surgeon doesn't charge anything like he works at a charity hospital and he services as many like children with this issue it as he possibly can right but like he's still one person like he's like the specialist that can do this because this is a special set of skills maybe there's a couple of others but he might actually be the one in the world that that is capable of doing this procedure and he's certainly the best at it so like we do have that 
as a as a what you call it. we do we do actually have like an uh we don't have an infinite supply of these skill positions out there so i, I just want to acknowledge that possibility and also somebody wants to talk about youth in asia in canada i don't know if you guys are interested in that oh. i don't know what i mean um the, the chat's definitely in well, rare you're, form tonight. well you're in favor of um right to die yeah but that's not what they're talking about i do support right to well yeah i mean so, for sure so in Canada, it's it hasn't gone into effect yet, but they they expanded the like quote unquote right to die to include people with mental illnesses, like that typically weren't included. And this is like the big this is like the big issue that people are having because it's one thing for for us to say, okay, well, if you have a medical illness or like you're terminally ill or whatever, or just like philosophically, if you're like sane, sober like prudent person who wants to end your life, you have the right to do that because you own yourself and you can choose when to end your life. But it's another thing to say, well, if you're depressed and you like have suicidal thoughts, the Canadian government will sign off on that. And a lot of people think that um, homeless people or people in poverty will be encouraged to do this so they won't be burdens on the system. So this is one of the reasons why this has become a huge uh, topic. Uh, I'll have to look this up because I haven't heard about like the Canadians out killing the mentally ill. No, no, it's 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 including mental illness in the illnesses. Right. You can ask for like the right to die. Right. See, I think that it should be like this. I think that when you're in a position where they come and they offer you hospice, that they should give you the choice between hospice or the happy pills. You can have the happy pills now or you can have the hospice because let's we all know when that point is for the most part when it's something where you could do it ahead of time. If you're going to be going into hospice, why couldn't you at that same time get your nice little right to die pills and choose how you want to go out? I mean, I just think it should be a choice. That's do, all. Do, you know, do you know if they have that in, in the state of Florida? Like just Oh, like hell no. It's in state, Washington, Oregon. I think. I think that's it. No, there's another one. It's either like Vermont or Maine. Or maybe or Vermont. I think, I think you're right about Vermont. But that's well, it. I, it's very limited. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you, like, even if they don't have it in Florida, they, they have it in Florida. Because I have relatives down there. And my great-grandmother uh, had a serious stroke. And uh, we were given, like, morphine for her, like, you know, in order to like easier easier out of existence even though they did not say it was for that well purpose. that's all hospice ever is and anybody who's ever been in yeah. hospice knows that when it comes down to it basically they just up your morphine at the end until you die well, so so essentially that's what we do however you get to sort of linger in the system for longer i'm just saying my yeah. personal preference would be to take the happy pills well, my, and i my, don't think it should just be because i don't feel good today it should be when you are at and when you're being like if you're being offered hospice then I'd rather have the pills. Sure. I, but I would say that I ended up like, so in in this specific case, they didn't say that and they ended up sending her home. But I have like a bunch of nurses in my family. So when they yeah. gave the recommended dose, they're like, oh no, that's not the dose for morphine. That like, that would obviously kill her. So they were like dosing her to like dump, dull the pain and all that. But um, the hospice nurse actually showed up and like, they just popped that in. And like, oh, that's yeah. how my... That's how my great grandmother passed away. Like this woman showed up and she took a, way too much That's morphine. It was, it was so they even if they don't have it, they have it. But like, but it should have been up to that person before they were incapacitated to do that without a whole bunch of well, people standing she around. Did, she, did, she did sign a DNR and and all that. So like, I I I understand. And again, she was like ninety four years old and all that. But what the 
I think the issue that that a lot of people have outside of the severe conditions, because I think we could pretty much agree that like, you know, if you're in hospice, you're on the cusp or whatever, like yeah. this shouldn't be refused to you. Like you shouldn't be forced to suffer and starve for weeks or whatever. Yeah. But at, and at the same time, I think you guys would probably agree that if there's like an experimental treatment and you're already going to die, like you shouldn't be barred from the law from having access to that treatment. Sure. Yeah. I th- it's just your choice, what you want to do. I just don't like the, I, I just personally want to be able to control. And that's where, and that's where kind of the misnomer yeah. of a lot of, and listen, we've got a very wide variety of different political leanings in the chat. And those who are conservative are under this illusion that we're in favor of the government running healthcare. No, <laughs> that is not what we that's want. That's not how this we works. We do not want the government making any decisions as far as that's concerned. In fact, the government controls healthcare now more than ever because of the corporate power of private insurance and big pharma. And so we're trying to alleviate that issue. I mean, I I don't think it's unfair for the chat to to like say that's your position, even though you're not for an NHS style system where where, um, you know, the the hospitals and all that are run by the government or VA system because the VA would be similar to that system. But if if you institute a single payer system, like obviously the one person paying has an inordinate amount of influence on what goes on in the system. So even though it's not as top down as the NHS, it would still be closer to that than, you know, what a lot of these people might say that they want. But to get to the right to die thing for the for the uh, mentally ill, because this is what what is like very controversial in Canada. Like you do support some limits at like, you know, like if 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 like a trans person, you know, was like, I want to end my life because I feel like I'm not being accepted. Like you don't think that the government should aid them in that. No, 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 no. I am only talking about death with dignity and the way it is in this country, in the states that I know, like in Washington and Oregon, not only does it have to be signed off on by like multiple doctors and it is very expensive, by the way, which is another issue, but you have to be where you're terminal within, and it has to be within a certain amount of time. It can't just be, oh, you're dying over the next couple of years. It has to be like fairly acute and it has to be signed off on by two doctors. But for me personally, it would be at the same time they're offering you hospice. So we're not talking about somebody who's really choosing to die. We're talking about someone who is choosing how they die. Right, and I, and I, that's the difference. I, I'm smiling because somebody put in the chat, "What if they identify as dead?" Which you know, it just, <laughs> like right, right when you're saying this very serious thing, I, no, and I don't just, I don't disagree with that. I think uh, as a part of end of life care, like you know, that that is a thing that should be available. Uh, what do you what do you think about the youth in Asia being responsible for this? Should we like do something about them? Should we go over to Asia and confront the youth? <laughs> That's like violence in the media, right? Yeah, you get. Do you well, remember violence, violence in the media? Yeah. Violence. That's uh, you know, I, I think this is a great place to wind down the conversation because you know one of the big issues that we have on the left side of politics is we are not overwoke, far from it. We believe that people have the rights that they should have. Trans people should be protected. There's a lot of things that go on in society that unfavorably target people because they are different. But it seems to me that. Because the liberals, and I'm sure you follow a lot of the big accounts on social media, you know, the Rob Reiners of the world, the Deborah Messings of the world, you know, 
Uh, you saw what Alyssa Milano did. The They're other. I mean, insufferable. And Alyssa Milano may be the most insufferable the, one of Those all. are not our people. You know, Alyssa Milano, you probably didn't see this. I don't um, watch uh, that Well, Alyssa Milano made a statement today about how I'm not driving a Tesla anymore because uh, Elon Musk is terrible. So I'm going to drive a Volkswagen, knowing full well that Volkswagen was conceived under the Third Reich. And it's like, <laughs> you you do not understand just how insufferable you are. And this was maybe the greatest ratio of all time. We're talking like, what might be like a hundred thousand comments now at this point to basically tell this person to get effed. Like it's, it's so And bad. I hate Tesla and I would never drive a Tesla. I, I, I think you should test drive a Tesla. They're no. actually real. They're actually just test drive it. They're actually, I have. Real. I, I have. they are wrong okay. to me on so many levels. It's a personal preference. I'm not driving a Tesla. It's not happening. I, you know what I hate about the, the Tesla to, to get in on this issue, even though I do think it is the best electric car. Um, and I've test driven it. It is it is fun. And I think my my preconceived notions about electric vehicles were kind of blown away. Uh, but uh, the vegan leather, I'm not into it. Like if if you're gonna charge fifty thousand dollars for a car, you have to have actual leather in it. Like you know, vegan leather. Well, okay. That, the the Tesla thing for me is I actually have a hybrid. So my car is a plug-in hybrid. So I get um, a certain amount of mileage without gas as well. And I do like that. And I do like getting gas less frequently and it's much more convenient and all that. But um, the idea of being pure electric to me in Florida is just not a good move. If I lived in California, fine, maybe. But the idea during- well, look, all I know is I tried to get out of here during one of the hurricanes, got stuck after it took me six hours to get what should only take an hour and a half from here, ended up having to come home. If I was in an electric car, I would have been screwed. I would have been screwed. I, I actually think uh, so where I live, it would be very inconvenient. So I just drive like a fuel efficient car because right. you know, I don't, I don't want to pay for gas and all that. And I drive a small car because I live in New York City and I probably shouldn't even have a car. Uh, according to some people who are wrong, but um, yeah, there's charging stations all over the place. Like, and you could charge it at your home and all that. And I like, you know, I hate to be the person because uh, one of my friends owns a Tesla. And whenever I visit Texas, he's always driving us nuance, bro, the, the YouTuber. And uh, I always make fun of his Tesla. Cause he's like one of those, I love Elon Musk guys. Right. So he deserves to be made fun of, but um there, go look at videos of people driving through like the water with a Tesla. It's actually kind of wild what that thing can do because the engine doesn't drown. Now, I will say the battery reduces its ability to function when it gets cold. And what they define cold as is like regular New York weather. So they're like under 60 degrees. You start oh. losing battery function, which, you know, is great if you live in California, Texas, Southern California, Texas, Florida, whatever, you don't really have to deal with that except for a few points out of the year. But like that's that's 90% of the year that I'm going to have reduced battery function. And I live in a building, so where am I going to charge the damn thing? Yeah. Well, and Richie makes a good point in the chat, which is what we've said here a multitude of times. Until the grid is renewable energy, you're still plugging in. You're still yeah, plugging into the same grid. Nuclear power. Are you guys yeah. on board? Yeah, yes. we've we've yeah. covered this several times. I I'm actually very open to all different things. I just want to do 
things based on science and reason. And so I am very open to a variety of proposals, but people that just rule it out out of just irrational fear, we won't, we're not of that. And this is one of the big issues that exists because I, I'm a supporter of AOC. I don't like it when she drifts into the whole culture war stuff because that always gets ugly. But when it comes to the issue of moving to a clean energy grid, she is spot on. Unfortunately, she's also very much in bed with the extreme left when they basically look at nuclear and think there is no way we can touch this. It's absolutely incorrect. You saw what just happened in Germany. They decided to pull back on nuclear and now they've advanced coal all over again. It's like if we're going to get off of coal and natural gas, nuclear, nuclear has, has to be part of the solution. We have to have We do discussion. not have enough right now to advance it past that point. We don't have fusion power, although that would be wonderful if we did. Um, we need to be realistic about if we really have a decade to avoid a long-term catastrophe regarding sea level rise and other things, then nuclear has to be part of this conversation. I, I do not understand why people think that needs to be avoided, but to me, that is something, especially with series four and the replenishment of nuclear waste, it really has to be a part of it now. If you want to combine solar, wind, geothermal- It wouldn't be enough. Elect no. Not how we wait, live. We live too hard. Correct. It, it also requires a backup for those uh, for those kind of plants. Like, you know, that Michael Moore producer documentary was really, was goofy in a lot of places when they were like, get rid of the humids. But the thing that they were right about is that part of the reason why a bunch of these companies are, are pushing the green agenda that you wouldn't expect is because natural gas plants often back up solar panels. So this is one of the, so like Germany would expand solar panels and in a year where the sun shined a little less, their carbon footprint would go up. And one of the craziest um, things I learned about nuclear power and the nation of Germany is that they shut down four nuclear plants and they wiped out every single carbon gain that the nation had since it since the reunification of Germany. Because after reunification, they shut down some Soviet-era carbon plants. And those were like, you know, doing that on its own, the coal plants, is going to reduce their carbon footprint to like such a point. But when they shut down the nuclear plants after that, every gain from that point was wiped out. And it's just, it's it's such a workable power source. France's grid is on it right now, today. Japan, before Fukushima, was on it. Again, modern countries. So like, we could have done it, we should have done it. And it's one of the things that Bill Clinton shut down and uh, definitely a huge problem, the nuclear playground being shut down. Amen. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. And this is a key issue, especially with anybody who tries to sell the Green New Deal and doesn't realize, and this is, again, the big problem with, you want to call it the fringe left, you call it whatever you want, but there is a rigidity within that movement where they absolutely refuse to move an inch. They do not want to give any credence to any idea that doesn't fall under this idea. We're of, not with them. You know, you, you can't. This idea that you can be completely uncompromising, that everything has to be exactly as you see it and no one is ever going to move even an inch on that issue. This is why AOC is so valuable if she's willing to be realistic and also open to the possibilities because she can corral a lot of those people and make them realize that this is a significant step that can be taken and why she chooses to 
not just continue to engage in the culture war more than the economic war, and also when it comes to the fact that she's championed the Green New Deal, but is not even willing to listen to somebody like Michael Schellenberger, who's been on our program multiple times and has made it very clear that I'm for a clean energy grid, but nuclear has to be a part of this and here's why. And he makes some really salient points about it. And I wish more people would see it that way. I think it's I think it's um if there there are people who who believe that climate change or global warming, whatever you want to call it, is the crisis. And the number one issue is the amount of carbon that we're pumping into the atmosphere. And like those people who believe that are if they're educated on nuclear are typically on the nuclear train because it's it's one of the lowest carbon producing it doesn't require a huge footprint i mean if we had it the amount of people that die from respiratory illnesses from coal us pumping that into the atmosphere every year would go down significantly but there's also people who think that climate change probably is a problem but they think it's their excuse to rewrite the american bargain or rewrite the world bargain so if you have something where you can have workable power today that kind of is not in line with the agenda. You know, Rahm Emanuel has that quote, people overuse it. Uh, They make it more sinister than it actually is because really every politician does it, where it's like never let a good crisis go to waste. And to me, it's basically the people who wanted George W. Bush to go after the base in Afghanistan that allowed them to launch this attack versus the people who are like, you know, we kind of always wanted to deal with Iraq. Like, so the anti-nuclear people to me are the people pushing the new Iraq war in, in, in this analogy, as compared to the, the people who wanted to go after the training facilities and blah, blah, blah in Afghanistan. Absolutely. Right. And, you know, I, I think if we're going to wind down the conversation, the best place to wind it down is the biggest carbon emitter in the world, which is China. And we see what's China. we see what China, China. totally China. China. No, China's <laughs> terrible. They're really terrible people, and we're totally going to turn over that country. <sighs> the communism is really terrible. It doesn't work. So it looks like now that the Chinese citizenry is getting really tired of the CCP. Uh, of course, no one is really talking about this more so than they should be. Tiananmen Square is being occupied in a way that hasn't been done in probably since 1989. So I am kind of curious uh, how you see this, because this is pretty significant and this can grow very, very fast, because I do think that there is sort of this awakening that's happening around the world. And when I constantly see people talk about, well, China locked itself down and they're doing great, I'm like, do you see what's going on there right now? I don't think that's exactly correct. So how do you see that regarding where China is heading at this point possibly for a significant change in their uh, economy as well as their government. I mean, I, I, I'm glad you asked me about this because I actually just learned about this today because this hasn't made the news in the way that you feel like it should because if China's our greatest geopolitical rival, you'd think that we would be more up on the news. But I do like the idea of protests. I do like the idea of standing up against the CCP. And there's a number of reasons that are behind this. Obviously, there's zero COVID policy, which, by the way, they're still hitting like 40,000 cases a day, even under this current policy, although their population is three or four times the size of Americans. So don't think it's the same as 40,000 here. Sure. But uh, yeah, it, it's very authoritarian. People people are like, China dealt with it. It's like, no, this isn't a thing that you deal with. This is the thing that everybody's going to get. So you should build up a natural immunity or vaccinated immunity against because it's going to be a problem. 
And I don't believe their numbers on all that. But the idea that you would lock 25 million people up in their homes in a city, like in a real significant lockdown that puts what we were complaining about to shame, even though I do think American complaints are valid and not expect consequences like to me, that's asinine, but they thought they could get away with it. And I'm happy to see the backlash. And I believe one of the things that triggered this was that there was actually a fire in one of the buildings and the fire trucks couldn't get through due to the way that they locked down the city. And they're giving them food provisions. The food provisions are far too minimal. So people are starving in these places. So there's been little like acts of defiance against the Chinese government that all seem to have built up to this. And this is all against the backdrop of Xi Jinping breaking the one rule in Chinese society since Mao, which is you don't become president for life. You take your term limits and you go. And him doing that, at, you know, I, I believe he was just confirmed recently and stacking his his uh, his five or, or his six that are around him with all loyalists. I think all of that culminates together in order to create the situation where hopefully we get some protests and we get something that pushes the Chinese people towards a better, more prosperous life. Because you know what? I actually don't want a second Cold War. And it would be really nice if the Chinese kind of like straightened out their their society so we wouldn't have that. If the people could have a bigger voice in the government and we could be actually aligned and genuine partners with the most populated country in the world. But one of the issues that I see with this coming to fruition is that there's no there's no like alternative that that I can see so far. And again, I'm not an expert on Chinese society. So, you know, like there's no there's nobody to, st- to to kind of fill the void. Like, you know, if Vladimir Putin were to, like, you know, get sick or whatever, there's a guy there that's like going to try to blitz. There's actually a few of them that will try to blitz for that seat that and some of them might be different enough. I don't know about uh, Xi. Right. Like if you would get anything different if he, it wasn't him. Right. Yeah. Well, we'll see if Biden decides to kick the uh, hornet's nest a little harder, because if you think Ukraine is bad, wait till Taiwan really becomes the center of attention, because that's where we're heading. And again, it's all about resources. I still maintain that the reason why we're in this proxy war with Russia over Ukraine has everything to do. I mean, again, you can argue NATO, you can argue a lot of different things. But to me, the trillions in rich natural resources in Western Ukraine is the motivating factor for Putin as I'm sure it is the motivating factor for our country. And the same will be true with Taiwan that, again, China believes belongs to them and we believe is our economic partner to do business with, especially in the tech era that we're living in today. There is a lot of issues that we have to deal with on a regular basis. But one thing we try to do with our show, even though it's small but mighty, not as big as yours, not as big as a lot of others that are out there, We try to convey the best message possible, which is non-corporate economic populism. No matter where you stand on the political spectrum, I think that these conversations are important, even if people don't necessarily agree with all of your takes. I don't, but I agree with a lot of what you say. And I think it's important that we continue to do this because I think if we do, it's going to be a lot easier to have class solidarity, which is what we need. Yeah rather than constantly fighting each other over pointless, useless crap, like what Alyssa Milano just did today. Like to me, if we get away from that and focus more on the conversations that we had this evening, I think we're going in the right direction, Sean. How do you feel about that as we close out? Yeah, uh, I want to say I do appreciate talking to you guys and I I appreciate, uh, you know, 
I appreciate you having me on. And yeah, there's definitely a lot of points that we disagree on and and all that. But uh, it's nice to talk to people who like, you know, ha- are willing to have the conversation, but also like feel very strongly about their beliefs and are open to like different information. So I, I appreciate you guys for having me on. Absolutely. I actually, I find you very smart and reasonable. Like to me, I just had this thought that if reasonable people get together, we could figure things out. And the problem is when the parties get involved and everything becomes tribal and name calling and chest thumping, and it's like, nobody's really even listening. And then we're not even coming at it from the same set of facts. But I think that when we do, I think people can be fairly reasonable. I do like, I, I do think that. Sean, plug your show. Anything you're working on, any events coming up. If you guys are not subscribed to Actual Justice Warrior, let me tell you something. You're not going to agree with everything he does, but my God, if he doesn't make a funny video, uh, he you really do agree. Yeah, with guys, him. definitely subscribe to Actual Justice Warrior. Shout out. Floor is yours, brother. Anything you want to plug, go for it. Oh, thank you. I mean, I'm Actual Justice Warrior on YouTube. You guys shouted me out more than enough times. At Twitter, I'm at IamShawn90. Instagram is where I'm terrible. If you could follow me at Actual Justice, that would be wonderful. Okay, guys. I'll even do that. I actually can. um, And I don't ever post. He's our Instagram, but I can actually on my little account, I will follow you. Actual Justice on Instagram. On IG. Yeah. Yeah. Important. It it is important. Yeah. And this is, you know, if we have conversations like this, there's people in this chat today who may disagree on a lot, but they're probably going to find that. Yeah. But you know what? I do agree on this, that and the other thing. And maybe we can find some common ground. The you can cut the tension with a knife in this country right now. And we've got to do something to really pull back from that because it's getting pretty bad. And so with that said, Sean, thank you so much, Sean, for coming. Really appreciate it. Yeah, let's uh, we'll do we'll do it again in the new year. And obviously all the best to you and have a great Christmas and New Year's. Bye. Happy festival. (laughs) Thanks, brother. So we are starting to plan our Festivus festivities. But if you guys are so inclined, for those of you who are here, and you do like our content and like what our message we're trying to convey, please get on over to patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as $5 a month. You can become a member of our team, which would obviously be very much appreciated. And that, of course, will lend you to more wonderful opportunities to have conversation. But of course, if you are very generous, $10 $10 a month will get you the Mansion Parliamentary 2024 sticker, uh, bumper sticker. We know you want that. But of course, you also get the wonderful Lulu, Lulu sticker. sticker. And who wouldn't want that adorable little thing? And if you're feeling really, really generous. $25 a month, guys, get you the jersey. It's the tri-blend, really soft, really awesome. It's, so it's wonderful. It's, it's really guys, incredible. Guys, it's a, just tremendous. a cute jersey. It's our it's cute really jersey. Great, really great so thing. we'd really appreciate, you know, any support. We always do different topics, different things. We didn't do the other ones. But we are there. also very big supporters of small business. And we do have a small business neighbors level, which is $50 a month. Anytime. Be, be our to, neighbor. If you want to be our neighbor, we will support your local small business. We will give you a shout out recommendation every show. Our one awesome small business supporter is Apex Insurance Industry, uh, the, the agency. They cover home, auto, and life. And if you are in the Florida area, of course, this is based in Delray Beach. We would highly recommend sure. that you check them out. They are a wonderful, wonderful local group. And of course, this is open enrollment time. So you might be surprised at the rates that you might get. Tell them Jen and Pete sent you. Yeah, you never know. It could be a really great find. So with that said. uh, What do we have coming up? On Wednesday, 
Uh, right now, our current guest is going to be fellow New Yorker as well, Alessandra Baeghi, who ran for the U.S. Congress, was in the state Senate and decided to challenge none other. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Uh, it was with none other than Sean Patrick Maloney. And whether or not she played a hand in helping get him knocked out of Congress, I don't really care that he's a Democrat. I care that he's a corporate whore, as Jen likes to say. I do. And was the head of the DCCC. Imagine how rare that is that the head of the DCCC gets knocked out of Congress. It pleases me. Mm, Makes me feel warm and fuzzy. A lot of people. It's a warm and fuzzy feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And, and And what else do we have coming? We have a lot of good things coming up. We have. And since we had our libertarian favorite, Sean Fitzgerald, a.k.a. actual justice warrior, we will have probably our favorite true leftist on the podcast next Wednesday. And that, of course, is our friend Mike Figueredo or girly Mike Fettuccini of the Humanist (laughs) Report. He will be coming on. That will be a great conversation. I love Mike. We're also going to be speaking with Rob Sand, who won his statewide race. You know what? It's going to kill me if I don't look this up right now. I got it. I okay, but guys, remember. in the meantime, so Peter's really great about getting guests. So like I'm listening to this book. It's an audio book. He's it's- the state auditor. Rob Sant is the state auditor of the state of Iowa. In a deep red state, he managed to win his race again. And we're wondering, what could he possibly have said that would convince voters who are voting Republican across the board to vote for him? You might be surprised. Maybe he offers you a really nice economic populist message. An honest government actor auditing the state budget correctly. And then we are talking with apparently Carl Hart, Dr. Carl Hart. He and I wish I knew his like, I don't know all his stuff, but I'm currently listening to his book that's called Drug Use for Grownups. He has had multiple books. He is a psycho neuropharmacology person. And I actually have a very good friend that's a neuropharmacologist. And they probably, I, I swear to you, these people probably all do know each other because there's only like, a, it, it's not a very big field. But so this is somebody who really knows. Thank you, Jason. I, I don't think I uh, would come off uh, in, in that regard. Uh, but I try to temper it as best. So I'm listening to this book. I'm really enjoying it. And I messaged Peter. And so now we're having Dr. Hart come on the show. So that'll be fun. And then we're also having another episode in my Deconstructing Zionism series that's coming up. December 14th. December 14th. That I'm very excited. two guests now. Rabbi Rosen and uh, Rosalind Pacheski, who is, yeah, it's, I've read both of their books. We're going to be talking with them. So Yeah. Another episode in Deconstructing Zionism. Don't forget to mark your calendars. We are only doing, we are doing a Monday and Friday show the week leading up to Christmas. Friday, December 23rd, we will do our Festivus. You know what? We can, we can set Peter up for Festivus. You know, we're going to be doing three segments for Festivus. Okay. And the first one, of course, is the airing of grievances. And I could see you having a really good rant on our airing of grievances. I've got a lot of grievances to air, but. So we're, so Festivus will be, there will be the airing of grievances, the feats of strength and the, and the declaration of Festivus miracles. Oh. We're going to be doing three Festivus segments. miracle. <laughs> um, this yeah. <laughs> I, I, I actually might actually this year be able to make the, the, the vegan meatloaf that I was thinking about doing. So we could have a Festivus meatloaf. God forbid we don't have a meatloaf. On we have one last thing to obviously one last guest. Um, what do we before have before you go? What uh, he has to address? Obviously, this 
wonderful dinner that happened over the weekend. So. What? Oh, my God. Who are we? To, oh, for God's sake. You met with your Nazi friend, your new Nazi friend. I have to correct a few people who come on here and say some really terrible things about it. I had a wonderful dinner party. It was really great. It was for Thanksgiving and I had a lot to be thankful for. Nick Fuentes is a completely misunderstood young man. Yeah, that's what he, he is. Taught, no, he's totally misunderstood. He came, yeah. he came to me with a problem and I solved it. I told him, support me for president and I'll get you your own. Yeah, I heard Kanye asked you to be his his running mate on his ticket. No, he totally got it backwards. He totally wants to be Uh my VP. And I told him, listen, we're going to have a ball and you're going to be there. And I'm going to decide who is the most eligible person at the ball. Just like in Cinderella, I'm going to have to make a decision. It's not going to be an easy one, but it might just be him. And he's wearing the glass slippers. If the slipper fits, he might get picked. I'm not, I haven't decided yet. It's going to be a while. They're wanting us to do a world economic forum stream. I mean, you know what, guys, it's just so, the economic stuff is just so. America first. That's my economic (laughs) policy. Believe me when I tell you, that's why I asked the TPP. It was a really great deal that I did. And I made sure that NAFTA got improved. I totally improved it. it was I'll really tell you great. what, guys, put in the chat if there's somebody in particular that you think you that would be a good person to talk to about this, because I am definitely not the World Economic Forum. No, person. you're totally talking to me because I totally understand it, believe me. And so this Nick Fuentes, yeah, he definitely said some really messed up things. I totally understand that, but he totally appreciates me. He totally supports me, and he doesn't support that really, really terrible ingrate Ron DeSanctimonious. He totally supports me. So I have to accept the fact that I don't agree with everything he says, but that's bipartisanship. That's how you bring people together, Jen. It's really great. So I have to be more presidential. I have to be accepting of all people, even really questionable people, even Kanye, Mr. Fuentes, Milo Yiannopoulos, all these wonderful, I mean, these questionable people, but they're supporting me and I have to take what I can get. Kanye's not supporting me. you. He's going to run against no, you. No, he's totally supporting me. Whatever. I'm not listening to that crap. He totally Fortunately, he's me. more of a joke than you are. So, Well, at least I'm improving my chances. You know, if everyone looks like a joke, they might just support me. Instead. Well, and that's that and there, there was Sean's Mitt Romney uh, argument. It's not a bad one. If there's a whole bunch of your type of people, somebody like I Mitt totally Romney made, will I know, swoop I totally, in. I totally made Mitt Romney my bitch and I'll make him my bitch again. Believe me, he totally stands no chance. No one is going to support that completely over the hill, ungrateful, lying, Utah, Mormon loving Totally useless person in Mitt Romney. You know, he voted to impeach. He's totally getting payback. Believe me, he's not going to survive it. And so I don't know what the WAP thing is. It's if it's some joke, I have no idea what it is. You guys remember. No, I'm totally, no, I listen, I'm talking right now and you're interrupting me. Believe me. Anyway, to communicate with you guys with this. The campaign is going great. And if you haven't already gone to Donald Trump 24, get over there. Sponsor my campaign. We need all the money we can get. I'm not self-funding this time. I can't keep that lie going forever. So make sure you donate, support what we're doing. We're just getting started and we're making America great again. Again. That is what Uh, I'm talking about. Jason, Trump's not against Jews. Trump's just about Trump. 
He's not for or against anything. He's about money and narcissism. That's it. That's all he cares about. He doesn't have some like sinister agenda because he doesn't really think that far in advance. So, so no, I don't think he is against the Jews. And I do think he gave a lot to Israel, but that had to do more with, I believe, the Christian evangelicals than it did with the Jews, although both whoever's willing to like, you know, yeah, be I mean, that's going to be support. really, and I think ultimately what's going to happen, and this is why I do think DeSantis is going to run. Um, if this was just Trump versus DeSantis, I, I, even then I would be a little tepid to say that it would happen. There's going to be people running for president. And when eventually oh, wait till Rick hand, Scott puts yeah, his when, Voldemort self in there, when eventually a number of people get into the race, it's just going to be too obvious that DeSantis is going to get in. He's going to stand out. That's what's going to happen. Bigly. That's the truth. And yeah, bigly. he's not the best you speaker. Said bigly. I did say bigly. Um, he's not the best speaker. He is kind of like a little wonky and awkward. But when you're looking at who that field is going to be, now I do see somebody like Mitt Romney. That isn't a bad, like see, when he I said see, that, I actually thought that's actually not a See, this is why we like Metaopoly. Metaopoly is definitely on the right and he casts aside Nick Fuentes. That's good because that guy has obviously no business whatsoever in politics. You know, Nick Fuentes was at the Charlottesville. I don't even know who that is. I mean, I've heard, I know the name, but like, I don't know, what's it from? Let me tell you, if if you just heard, if you just heard, if you heard his one rant regarding the Holocaust, it'd be like, Oh, is he a Holocaust denier? Of course. course. But he's just, but he's an incel. He admit, first of all, I think he's a closet homo. And did you just say that? Yeah, I did. I can say that about Nick Fuentes. I just don't like the term homo. Okay. Like, like it's sort of like the seventies called they want you back. He's a closeted gay man, Jesus. gay boy, whatever you want to call him. He just sounds like, and he's an incel. He's never had sex. He How do hates you know? Sex. Because he admitted. Oh, he flat out. I think he admitted once. I think like, he admitted once that he eats his boogers or something like that. He's like a really, who is this? Like, and why does anybody care? Who, who is this? Well, for those of you in the chat who might know better than I do, because where, I don't know like, why do we care who this is? Is he like, like a, like a Backstreet Boy or something? Like, who is no, this? No, because because Trump invited him to Mar-a-Lago. I for get that. No, he came with Kanye. Kanye brought him there. Trump was actually trying to act like I didn't know he was coming. That's fair. I mean, I'm not all I. Can I'm say- just saying I don't know who he is. Is he a, is he a, a music person? And I I'm just so out of it. I don't know. He showed up. He's with Kanye. not. He's just he's a conservative comic. He's not even no. He's a fascist. Well, he's friends with Kanye, so he clearly has no brains. No. If, if you want to talk about what political extremism looks like, it's Nick Fuentes. That is extreme, and that well, is Milo, a dangerous person. His name is, is Milo like, Yiannopoulos? He's a self-hating yeah, me, person. May I? He's a self-hating person. Can't take this, guys. I got to get my I got to get my weed on. And for those of you, by the way, Dad, if you're watching this. Oh, my yeah, God. Just, your dad, do you think your dad watches? Well, why doesn't he? He doesn't believe you. I didn't realize that it was like some sort of secret. He's not, you know, I wish he would get more high than he gets. But, um. I, I have started putting together a list. To that was do. two solid rings. You guys got to admit, I did two I, solid rings. I started there. figuring really out good. who we can invite to do like several different discussions about um, the transgender issues. I want to bring on a medical person, yeah. a legal person, and then somebody who um, is knowledgeable about the sports thing. And I started taking like I have some pictures of of Twitter handles for you to reach out to. All right, good enough. So for those of you who have yet to hit the like button, please do. 
share, like, subscribe, do all of those wonderful things. The chat has been very lively tonight. Why can't you guys like us? You obviously you like, like us. You obviously Meta. like us. You're here. Well, Metaopoly said, listen, I give Jen a hard time, but I I don't think like you do. I appreciate it. I don't mind. Metaopoly, you're fine, brother. You, yeah. You, you're no problem. The only, I just, you know what? It's when people are mean and make it personal that I just think that you just have nothing of intelligence to say. But other than like people being mean, I don't mind people like disagreeing or or saying that like I don't mind that. Yeah, I would definitely say that we need to. But but I think that the importance of oh, these conversations. Hey, what will you do if Biden versus Trump DeSantis? Watch it. Yeah. Let's put it I'm this pleading way. the Fifth Amendment. Yeah. I've been advised by counsel not to answer this question, Rob. But I, but you know, <laughs> I will say this: back in 2016, not even 2016, excuse me, back at the end of 2014, early 2015, everyone was convinced, begrudgingly and angrily, that it was going to be Bush versus Clinton for the presidency. Now, had there not been the effery, if you will, that went on in the primary, it uh, would have been Bernie <laughs> versus Trump. And no one could have predicted that that's what it was going to be. And certainly very few, if any, predicted that Trump was going to be president. So we're living in a different time. People are a lot more awake now than they've ever been. And they are demanding a different path for our country's future. I do remember way back in 2015, I remember standing out in the parking lot with like some of my friends from Pilates or whatever. And I, and I said to them, and I remember this very clearly because they were really like nervous that, that it needed to be Hillary or, or what happens if we, you know, Bernie's too crazy and left and whatever. And I said to them, I said, well, your next president is going to be Bernie or Trump. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. And, the and they didn't they, believe me. And the reason they don't choose wisely is because that particular segment of the population doesn't care which one wins because economically it doesn't affect them. Well, right. They, the they have issues with Trump, but not be. A lot of people have issues with him, but it's really based just on him and who he is, not really anything based on policy or reason or anything like that. That's because he's very he's loathsome. Yes. I mean, he is. He's disgusting. So, I mean, I, I get why people, but the people that really are like so triggered and deranged by him, I think that they need to understand that he is they just but one little tree in the forest. And, and of course, it really comes down to one clear issue. And that is as much as people dislike Trump, they dislike. I don't understand how to use Discord. That's they the dislike truth. Washington politics even more. And rightfully so. So with that said, we appreciate you guys. If somebody wanted to do that for us, I'd be very open to being like participating. But I personally do not have the mental energy to learn Discord. It is complicated. There's lots of symbols. And so I, I cannot, I don't know how to do it. I did a thing on there once where I was like an, uh, it was an audio interview. And I was very happy to do that. But getting in it was such a pain. Like, I just, I don't under, like Discord to me reminds me of like DOS systems before we had like Windows. I, I just don't even know how, you know, and then I made the mistake of, of saying it reminded me of Reddit. And then the Discord people went freaking nuts. Like, not, honestly, I don't, I, no offense was intended. Like, it was just crazy. I mean, I, it was a level like, it reminded me of the time that I mistook a Scotsman for an Irishman. And that wasn't real offended. But I'm telling you, man, those Discord people did not like being compared to the Reddit people. And I didn't know, like, 
All right, so Discord or Reddit or both, and we'll get that uh, set up. By the way, I sent you an email from somebody who wants to interview you. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah, somebody who volunteered for us. Yeah, right. I told, I gave him my phone number. He All can. Right. So with that said, guys, thanks for the very entertaining chat. Thank you for your continued support. Remember to like, subscribe, and share. And of course, if you are not currently a patron, we would obviously appreciate the support. Or go to Cash App, dollar sign Gen Change. Give us a little bit of moolah over there. You know what I'm talking about? So hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And we'll see you Wednesday. Bye all. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.